0: This is Surviving Ministry, conversations designed to help you last longer and grow stronger in ministry. I'm your host, Seth Stevens. That I knew a lot
1: about Jesus, but I didn't necessarily know Jesus. And anything worth doing is is usually hard. Ministry is difficult work if you're doing it right. If it's easy, something is not in place. John doesn't say we have heard his truth that's full of grace and glory. You know, we've seen His glory that's full of grace and truth. I knew that Jesus loved me. I knew that He'd given my, His life for me. But for years, I thought, yeah, but He doesn't like me. Your identity is not your ministry. The Trinitarian reality is the foundation for all existence.
0: Today, I will be talking to my good friend, Stacy Tyson. He is the General Director of Truth Seekers Fellowship a parachurch organization that focuses on discipleship and Bible study curriculum, which was actually the first organization to employ me to teach the Bible. So it holds a special place in my heart. Today we'll be talking about his spiritual awakening, the humbling of intellectual pride, the difficulty of being a pastor, the elements and order of discipleship, and how guitar making has influenced his ministry and prayer life. Let's jump in. Today, I am talking with Stacy Tyson. Yeah. He is the uh, executive director. Is that right? Of True Seekers Fellowship. Yeah. I,
1: well, I call it general executive. Sounds too fancy.
0: Oh, so, the general general director. Yeah. yeah,
1: yeah. General director. Um, the executive makes it sound like
0: you know what you're doing, and I don't want to <laughs> give people that impression. Yeah. Uh, the biggest difficulty with this interview is going to be keeping a straight face. Uh, Stacey is one of the people that make me laugh the most and, and tickle my funny bones. So I will be struggling to remain serious during this interview. Uh, also our first time attempting to do it, uh, across the interwebs. I prefer in person. Um, but, uh, that is becoming harder and harder these days. So, uh, Stacy's our guinea pig. We'll be experimenting him. Uh, I just told him it's also going to be on video, so he was not expecting that in his garage. Uh, Stacy, how you doing today? Doing
1: well, Seth. Good good to be here. Thanks for having me. Looking forward to it.
0: We'll see what we can do. Yeah. Uh, so just uh, to give us a little bit of, of your background, kind of... Um, how did you come to know the Lord and and when did you start taking your walk with the Lord more seriously?
1: Yeah, I um I grew up, you know, in the church. My my mom and dad um were in church all the way from the very beginning. And so um in fact, some of my earliest memories are of my mom reading the Bible to me. I mean, when I was really young, really, really young. And um, so I, I kind of grew up in the church and then we went to a um, little Methodist church in Corinth, Mississippi, where I grew up. So I think when I was 12 or 13, we did the whole, uh, you know, confirmation baptism thing. And I, I mean, I kind of knew what was going on, but it really didn't click with me at that point. I, I you know, I, um, my experience, if I could preface it by saying this, I remember reading C.S. Lewis one time. And, uh, he was talking about his, uh, conversion experience. And he said for him, it was like the journey of, uh, moving from a, being a boy to a man. And you don't know exactly when it happens, but you know that it's happened. And that, that really resonated with me because there's never been a time in my life where I haven't known about the Lord and about the things of truth and scripture and so forth and so on. But, um, When I was 12 or 13, that was kind of a wake-up call, but really I started taking things seriously. Uh, I've been in music all my life, and I was in a band. Um, Let's see, when was this? I was majoring in music at the time, and I was in a band. And the guys that I were in a band with, one was from Church of Christ, another was from the Disciples of Christ, another was from uh, Southern Baptist background. And so uh, we would get into theological Uh, Discussions and man, I didn't know nothing. I mean, I you know, I I read my Bible a lot when I was younger, mostly the Gospels and Proverbs and so forth and so on. But I didn't really know a lot. So it was at that time uh, I was majoring in music here in Memphis, and then um, decided that I wanted to learn more about the Bible. So I switched over, and I thought I was going to switch over for maybe a couple of semesters to a small Bible college here in Memphis, Crichton College, that doesn't exist anymore. But, um, I switched over there and man, it was, that was, I mean, that was literally a life changing experience. You know, that was the first time I'd heard anybody really take the scripture seriously. We, we had had some, uh, good pastors at the church I grew up in, but you know, I didn't have a lot of strong Bible teaching. So that was the first time I was really exposed to that. And for me, that was when the lights really came on. I was working, um, I was working at a job at a little um, computer furniture store over on Winchester here in town. And uh, I was in a New Testament survey class. And so we had to read through all the books of the New Testament. And when I got to Romans, that was the first time I'd ever read through Romans, you know, all the way through. And so Romans, by the time I got to chapter five, I would be so amped up with adrenaline. I would just have to get up and walk around. You know, it Just I'd never really... Uh, heard those things before in that way. You know, I, I don't know what happened. You know, and, and clearly the Spirit's working and doing well,
0: things. That what was what was he can amping, do? What was amping you up about it?
1: Um, it was a, a lot of different things, but primarily the idea of the Lord's grace, you know, um, chapter five, while we were sinners, yet Christ died for the ungodly, all those ideas. That was something that really hit home as I was reading through that, you know. Also, you know, part of the, oh, I'm gonna get in trouble right here. Boom, already <laughs> in the ditch. Something that really got me into studying Bible is, you know, with those friends that were coming from different backgrounds, the, the issue of, you know, those hard things of election, predestination, all that came up. And so to me, Romans answered those questions without any um, without any lack of clarity over, over what's going on there, you know. Um, you know, and, and for me, just discovering, you know, well, you know, um, when I was in ninth grade, I had a, a Western Civ class in high school, and one of the coaches was teaching that class. And that was the first time I'd ever heard about the Reformation, Calvin, you know, Luther Calvin, all those things. And now this is in a public high school. Let me emphasize that. This is in a public high school. We're doing Western Civ, talking about the Reformation, and in the textbook, There was the little TULIP acronym, you know, for reformed theology, total depravity, uh, all that. And so I'd never heard of the idea of election before in that way. And I remember in the ninth grade just going into this um, tailspin about election. Like, you know, well, how do you know if you're chosen? What does that mean? I mean, you know, all those kind of things. And then after I read through Romans, you know, for me, it became the very comforting uh, idea of you know, as sinners, we don't know what we're doing, but our heavenly father does. And um, I can trust him to do what's right and to do what's good, you know? And so the issue becomes not whether or not you understand those things, but whether you can really trust the Lord to do what's right. And so Romans really helped me with that. I mean, that was the first time I'd made a lot of those connections. So that was, for me, that was really when I feel like the shift happened from Uh, just knowing about things to really, uh, you know, moving into a time of personal relationship. Now it it would take, it would take three more years of Bible college and then four years of seminary uh, to get to the point where, you know, I was, this is after I'd graduated seminary. I was teaching a class uh, back at Crichton where I'd gone to school. I was teaching a class and I had this, one of these blind, what I call an epiphany, a blinding flash of the obvious. And that is That I knew a lot about Jesus, but I didn't necessarily know Jesus. I didn't, Hmm. I hadn't really cultivated a personal relationship with him as, as, uh, as would happen later, you know? So that was another, that was kind of another, you know, mile marker in my growth and waking up, you know, I, it, it, uh, a lot of guys go through seminary to be surprised that they get saved sometime after that, you know? (laughs) I had, yeah. there is I heard a story just recently about a guy in church. In fact, I I, I heard this guy preach a, a funeral one time a couple of years ago. This is several years ago, 5 or 6 years ago. One of the most incredible insightful sermons that I've ever heard at a uh, funeral before. And um just recently I heard that he got up on a Sunday morning and said, "You know, y'all, I'm gonna, I going to I've got good news and a bad news. Good news is I'm going to have to take a break and step down to the pulpit pulpit for a while." But the good news is I've got to do that because I just got saved last week. <laughs> you know, <I> think, <laughs> I think, how can this guy that seemingly had such a great insight? And, you know, I think a lot of people go through that. It, there's a huge difference in knowing about something and knowing somebody. And so, again, that was a big, um, big mile mark. And, I, you know, I feel like I've spent the last 20 years kind of trying to develop that. Uh, you know develop
0: that more deeply in so forth. I've been doing some work with the puritans john Owen mm. especially and yeah yeah they they have um for them there's a big difference between uh conviction and, and conversion and yeah uh, yeah uh, in fact just the other day i read he he referred to you know people whose emotions and affections are stirred and things like that he says, but they haven't closed with Christ. Yeah,
1: Um yeah. And
0: the, uh, you know, I, th- I think that's uh, to steal their language—a a useful distinction. Like you haven't fully closed the diff- distance, and part of the thing is right. you don't know you have because you have some conceptions of Him and, and knowledge of Him. Um, yeah, you know, I, I, I.
1: Re- this is going to sound um, way overstated, and it, and it is. But you know, one of one of my um, own hangups is, is that our intellect often gets in the way of our uh, deeper realities. In other words, we can think ourselves into a box, or into a hole, rather. You know, we think we know, we we think we have this, but uh, that's just one piece of the puzzle. So yeah, I I really connect with that. I remember at Dallas, uh, John Hanna church history prof, um, who was an expert on uh, Jonathan Edwards, you know, uh, and he, I remember him talking, telling about the first great awakening and how, you know, as Edwards would preach, people would come under that sense of conviction, and they would come up and want to, you know, take the next steps, and Edwards would say, you know, he would uh, ask them, you know, do you feel that the Holy Spirit is moving? And they would say, yeah, absolutely, Pastor Edwards, and he'd say, okay, come back tomorrow, in other words, he wanted to make sure that they had, it just wasn't an emotional response, but it's a full soul response, you know, that, that hits everything that it needs to hit. So I really, and I think the, you know, the, the, the Puritans, oh man, they contributed so much and they've been so um, uh, misrepresented in modern times. I mean, that is some of the, heaviest thinking that's ever been done about Christianity and it, it, pastors and teachers are largely unaware of what was even said. I think there's a lot of help
0: uh, there. Yeah. Reading the Puritans, you realize maybe being puritanical isn't such a bad thing. Um, well, and it, also
1: reading, reading the Puritans. I mean, I, I've already said, I grew up in Carth, Mississippi, so I no, I'm not that smart, <laughs> but man, reading the Puritans, it really magnifies how dumb I actually am. You know, I mean, it takes, it takes effort. I mean, it really, take some effort, but it is so worthwhile. You know, it's, it, it really, yeah. and anything worth doing is, is usually hard and
0: persevering yeah. is a key part. Re- reading, of it. Them, reading them is often like moving through a jungle. You, <laughs> yeah. know, you have to go slowly and intentionally so yeah. that you don't lose the path. Um, and for me, it's like going through a jungle without having the proper
1: tools to make it through <laughs> the jungle. So, yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Um, now, you you mentioned uh, you you taught for a while at Crichton, where you also uh, attended. Yeah. Uh, you've been in several different uh, types of ministry, uh, te- teaching um, at a academic setting, uh, parachurch ministry. For a while, you were involved in church ministry. Yeah. Why don't you um, tell me a little bit about those stages and yeah. uh, what you enjoyed or what you found challenging? and kind of why you ended up transitioning uh, either in or out of them.
1: Yeah. Um, so uh, going back to my Bible college um, Bible college experience, you know, I um, at, at that point, the church I grew up in, my uncle was teaching the senior high Sunday school class. And so he was getting ready to give that up. And he found out I was in Bible college. He was like, hey, why don't you come teach this class? And I, you know, I kind of did it. I was kind of excited about it, but I thought, man, I don't know what I'm doing either. You know, also, uh, all through um, really up until college, I had a s- terrible stuttering problem. I mean, I still do. Um, mm. So the idea of having to do something where I'm speaking all the time, absolutely terrifying, you know. But anyway, I took over that class, and that was a really good experience to be teaching somebody while while I'm learning. You know, one of the one of the things I you know, I try to encourage people to do is always um, have, have a deep connection with somebody who is a few steps ahead of you um, in the walk and then a, somebody who's some steps behind you. So you got somebody to lead you to where you need to go, but you're also uh, being able to share with people who need to know what you need to know or who need, need to know what you do know and your own experience. So that as I was learning in Bible college, it was great to have that, um, uh, practice, but I really didn't feel like, I mean, and th- that didn't really click at that point, but I-, I had some teachers that, that said, you know, you ought to think about teaching. I-, I think you've got a gift for it. And, um, I think that's the way you ought to go. So as I left, um, as I left, uh, Bible college, I knew that I wanted to go into seminary. And so the focus when I went to seminary was, to be teaching, you know, and I was thinking eventually getting out teaching at Bible College Seminary, something like that, Um, but then as I went through seminary, I realized that, man, I'm just not cut out for the academic stuff, Uh, you know, uh, sitting in a room looking at Greek lexicons and day in and day out, I just realized I don't have the patience for it, and I I just don't, I I don't have the skills to go that deep. Now, you know, I can use those tools, and Man, the Greek and Hebrew that I got Greek in in Bible college and Hebrew at seminary that's been invaluable. But I just knew I wasn't cut out for that. So,
0: and the PhD um, work is so man esoterically or academic or just so narrow that um, yeah, yeah, I, I kind of had a similar path in that. I went to Bible college for four years, then I went to Dallas yeah. Uh, yeah. for four years to get their ThM. And after that, I'm like, man, I've been in school for eight years. I, you know, a PhD would be nice to be able to open those doors yeah. to teach. You, but, man, I don't know if I'll, I, I want to dive in anymore. Yeah. And so, yeah, it's I, am I sympathize with you on that. Well, you know, um one
1: of the things I, we had a great group of friends at seminary. Uh, people that, uh, a couple of people that came from Memphis at the same time we did, uh, that we developed real deep relationships. And then others were new people that we met while we were there.
0: Now you said, were you married? Did you get married?
1: Yeah, we got, um, so I graduated uh, college in, wait a minute, my mind just went blank on me. When did I graduate college? Yeah, 92, yeah, Uh, I graduated in 92. That doesn't sound right when I say it, yeah, 92. Uh, I met my wife uh, at Crichton, uh, Jill, and her father, James Jim Allman, was one of my teachers at Crichton. So
0: we had an earlier uh, interview with him.
1: Yes, yeah, yeah. You did an interview with him. So, um, so he's my father-in-law, and and uh, we met at Bible College, and then we were married. Uh, I, I I stayed around here for a year. She graduated in '93, and then we were married in June of '93, and moved to Dallas in July of '93. So lots of transitions, boom, boom, yeah, really, oh man, a lot, um, and I, I may talk about this a little bit, but in the year that I was, um, the year that I was staying here, I worked for Coca-Cola, my mm-hmm. uncle was a district manager, uh, down in Corinth, so I worked there for a year, and I was teamed up with an older, um, with an older fella, he, um, He was a pastor of two or three African American churches down in North Mississippi. Uh, His name was Roosevelt Irons. We all called him Rose. And um, that year with him was an education in and of itself. Uh, um, He is one of the men that prepared me for seminary and um, in a way to bring things down to earth. Anyway, I may say more about him in a little bit, but anyway. Uh, so we were married June 93, moved to Dallas in July. Then we waited another year. So we were in Dallas working, saving money. Um, and then I started, uh, Dallas seminary in the fall of 94. So we had a year in Dallas before I actually started up. And one of the really good friends that we developed, that I developed down there, we, we were always, we didn't feel like we really fit the mold of, um, Dallas seminary, you know, we're kind of a little bit rebellious, you know, uh, Both of us later realized that we went to school because of our intellectual arrogance, you know, (laughs) we wanted to Uh, to win the
0: argument, so to speak. (laughs) Man, it is. Yeah, I I think of myself and at least uh, and a lot of my friends at seminary, and I think that is an epidemic in uh, yes oh, <laughs> seminary, absolutely yeah. seminary circles and it's you you're and it's something you're really blind uh, you're usually pretty blind to while you're in the midst of it yeah absolutely yeah uh,
1: fortunately you know in in that I made a, some friends and one of my friend uh, he and I would uh, drive down to school sometimes and as we would get out of our car there was a you know certain street that when you cross that street you'd be on the seminary grounds and as we crossed the street <laughs> we would look at one another and remind one another that as we got on Dallas Seminary grounds, we were entering into a place that exists nowhere in the real world. You know, in other words, you know, this is a, this is the realm of academics and hypotheticals and what ifs. Now there was a lot of practical stuff that I learned there too, but by and large, you know, you're, you're there to be in your head. I mean, that, that's what you're there for
0: yeah.
1: uh, to do those things that you can't do anywhere else. So we would always remind ourselves of it. And uh, you know, that, that was. Um, that was one of the things that helped me through. And then, you know, I think even um, as I went through, like you were saying, I realized I wasn't cut out to do the heavy academic stuff. So that was a humbling experience in the sense of, you know, and I think that's part of what they try to do at seminary. They try to bring you to your wits end. They, I, there was one prop that told us we give y'all way more than you can possibly do. So you'll learn what your limits are. And, I'm glad they said that up front because if they hadn't, I probably would have. Man, I probably would have wrecked my marriage and everything else, you know. But but knowing that, I'm like, you know, I was able to
0: go through and like, yeah, I'm I, I'm not going to do everything they're telling us to do, you know. Well, remember we, I remember, we, I remember <clears throat> a point in seminary where I was struggling, and I, I looked at my classes and I realized I had some big projects and in some classes that was keeping me from kind of doing some work in some yeah. other classes yeah. that wasn't weighted as heavily, but was just grunk, grunt work, uh, yeah. you know, especially in the languages, you've got to yes. do that daily yeah. rigorous, otherwise you'll f- fall behind. And I had to reorganize the way I was doing stuff because I was doing stuff based on what's going to get me the better overall grade. And then yeah. I realized I'm working really hard for projects and classes. Yeah, I don't care as much about yeah. like yeah, I, I don't yeah. think they're as important or as valuable to me. Yeah, and so I switched and started prioritizing. Well, these are the classes I care about. I'm going to do the small projects and the um, yeah less. You know, it, it might hurt my overall GPA, but I'm going to do the little stuff in these. And, and before I do even the bigger stuff in these other classes. And man, that was like a load dropping off my back. Absolutely, yeah. And it also didn't affect my grades that much, really, actually, because um, I still got the other work done. I probably just rushed it rather than neglecting the work with other. And just living in line with those priorities is really helpful. We, uh, you know, they had the student center. I can't remember what it was, was.
1: I guess it was a student center, you know, where we would go eat lunch or hang out and study. And I went on some of the profs would come in and sit and talk. And I remember one day we were sitting there and I, I can't remember who this was. It may have been Howard Hendricks or it was one of the, you know, kind of the uh, classic teachers that you think of when you think of Dallas. But anyway, He came over and he was talking to different tables and and uh, he started talking to one of the guys that was at the table I was at. And we, we kind of got into that, you know, and he said, listen, uh, gentlemen, he said, you're going to leave seminary and you're going to lose one of three things you you you're either going to lose your gpa you're going to lose your wife or you're going to lose your integrity and you need to figure out right quick which one it's going to be and all of us were like yeah the gpa is going you know and I, man that was some wise advice i think that happened my second year i remember i remember my second second semester all right this is not you know in a four year program i'm in the second semester so not even through with the first year and I, I got all my syllabi together And I calculated up how much reading I had to do uh, five days of the week. One of the things that Jill and I set up is that I would try to do all of my seminary work during the week and have the weekends off. I wouldn't do any work on the weekends. So in order to do everything through the week, I calculated it up. And in five days, I would have to read 150 pages every day just to stay on top of the required reading. You know, I'm like, well, that ain't going to happen. You
0: know, And that's not including writing papers. It's not including. Yeah, exactly
1: that's just the required reading. That doesn't include research. That doesn't include all the, you know, and I was in first year Hebrew at that point. Uh, I, I tested out of first year Greek because I'd had some in um, Bible college. And uh, so I just started up Hebrew and second year Greek uh, at Dallas. I had those in the first two semesters and boy, howdy, Lord of mercy. I mean, Hebrew is you either get it or you don't get it. There's no in between. There, there's no mediocre Hebrew student, <laughs> you <know laughs> what I mean? you're either, either going to survive or you're going to die. That's the only thing. So I was having to do everything I could, could to stay alive in Hebrew. You know, it mm-hmm. was, it was, it was tough sailing. So that second semester I thought I'm not going to make it for four years. I'm just not going to make it, you know, but the Lord showed up in a lot of different ways, you know, and, and part of, you know, part of those were to teach me humility. You know, I, I, I I'm pretty sure that that was the main part of it. And it took me a lot more years to
0: mm-hmm. learn, more of it the way i needed to but
1: anyway, yeah, I go got, ahead, kind I of.
0: got i got most of mine after seminary <laughs> yeah oh definitely of yeah. course i i was single so i had six days <laughs> of the seven days of the week to work on my yeah. my studies and didn't have a wife or anything like that to get oh, yeah. out simultaneously i you know i it, it's
1: um boy it is hard going through seminary with a wife but we also knew a lot of people that did it with kids and i really don't, i don't know how anybody could do that how you know I don't know how in the world you make it through. It's so, it's so hard in and of itself. Anyway, kind of going back. So after I graduated from, uh, I, I had really, at the end of my fourth year at Dallas, uh, my youngest, our oldest daughter was born. I was supposed to graduate in 98. My oldest daughter was born in 97. Uh, long story short, uh, Jill had a lot of complications. My oldest daughter was born early. She was a preemie. She weighed three and a half pounds when she was- Oh, wow uh, born. So that, and that was in my, that was the end of my third year uh, when that wow. happened. And so, you know, I knew I had another year to go. And, um, um, so I, you know, we went through a lot of stuff, man, that's really where the Lord got my attention with all that. That, that's really where I felt like I woke up and, you know, boy, this ain't about you. I, I don't know what you think is going on here, but we got a whole other plan <laughs> that I'm, that I'm working out. Um, and so, uh, you know, a- after that, uh, Jill was in the hospital for over a month on bed rest. There's a long story with that. Hannah was born. She was in the uh, neonatal ICU for another, almost another month. She came home on Easter.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, Easter that year, that was a big deal. So that summer, you know, um, oh, man. And then the first year with her, it just, man, she was I've always said about her that she was in a hurry to get here, and then she's been slow getting to everything else that she wanted to. You know, (laughs) we had so many many trouble just trying to get her to eat and gain weight and all that thing. It was just, oh, man, something else. We're down in Dallas
0: largely by ourselves, you know. I remember how fragile uh, our kids seemed when they were born, and they were like eight and nearly nine, like eight and nine pounds. I can't imagine. Three pounds. That's just. Oh, man. Itty-ditty. She was so
1: small, you know, she had
0: stuffed animals in her bed that was bigger than she was, you know. Oh, gosh. It, I mean, and that's that, like, that's a, I mean, jumping into parenting is terrifying as oh, it is. That's yeah. like, you know, quadruple. That, that's a multiplier of terrifying. Oh, uh, man,
1: yeah. It, I, I, you know, one of the things we, we give, um, I, I've had to give uh, premarital counseling to several couples that I've married over the years. And one of the exercises that I give them to do is, you know, as you think forward, you know, what are some of the things that uh, cause fear? What are you afraid of, you know, as you as you think on out? And they'll come back with their answers and whatnot. And, and I'll say, well, now I've got good news for you. You know, probably none of those things are ever going to happen to you. But what is going to happen to you is so much worse than anything you can imagine <laughs> now that if you knew yeah. it was going to happen, you'd probably want to give up. But yeah. the Lord is going to be with you you know, the Lord's going to give you. And, and that's what I think about that period. Like if I'd known what was coming in that, man, I don't know how you'd face it, you know, but ignorance is bliss in some of that, you know, so okay. it was very difficult, but that, but that, that you know, set up the last year in seminary, I was, man, I was burnt out by then. I, I was just trying to get through and I, I realized that in that last year, I'd already had more Hebrew and Greek than was required of the THM there. And um, the only classes I had left were some of the pastoral ministry classes. And so I realized if I switched my majors, I could finish up quicker. And so I switched my major, and, you know, at that time I was praying, Lord, if you'll just get us back closer to family, I'll do whatever and not complain about it. <laughs> so uh, I graduated in 98. We moved back to
0: have hey, you've, bro- you've broken that promise, because I know you've complained since <laughs> <laughs> mm-hmm. not-
1: uh, yeah, I, I I probably I don't pray didn't pray I won't complain but I just said I'll do whatever you want me to do if you'll get us back close to home. <laughs> yeah, because I think the complaining came yeah. next. But anyway, so the Lord moved us back uh, to Memphis, and so that was great. Um, what was it? The next year or the year after, my my in-laws moved to Dallas. <laughs> he got a job teaching at Dallas, so they moved back. But my mom and dad and a lot of our family was still here. But I thought, isn't this crazy? But um, Spend so, all we, that we made, time,
0: trying to get back to family, and then they right leave. <laughs>
1: <laughs> oh, man! so uh, so at, as I moved back, my father-in-law was teaching at Crichton College, you know, where I'd gone to school. And so uh, an adjunct position opened up. and so, um and I wasn't intending to teach or do anything when I came back. i uh, hmm. I just thought, Lord, if you'll let me teach a Sunday school class or something like that, i'm I'm just I'm just kind of done with them. So well, you were of this. you
0: weren't you weren't planning on. You know, being what, were, what was your plan for a job then? If you weren't,
1: I didn't have a plan. In it?
0: Okay, <laughs> I, I didn't
1: have a plan. The, uh, okay. There was um, my my father in law taught a um, Bible study that uh Doctor Crichton, Doctor Jim Crichton, had started years ago. I think I think it was called the Men of Memphis class. It met at Memphis Funeral Home at uh, six a.m. on a Friday morning. I, I think, if I remember that, that that may not be accurate. But there was a guy that my father-in-law came to know in that class named John Doggett, not the John Doggett on the X-Files. This is a different John Doggett. Uh, this, this, okay, now, let me just, so the year I start working at this for for the guy named John Doggett is the same year that a character on the X-Files shows up named John Doggett. John Doggett's like a name that you hear. That, I mean, that's not one that you're gonna expect. I remember when that happened, like, what in the world? is This is bizarre. This is bizarre. But anyway, so my, my father-in-law, uh, John Doggett had a chemical company that made like soaps and things like that uh, to go in restrooms. If you've ever used the green soap or the pink soap. In a, I've never used the soap in a restroom. Y- well, yeah, Just kidding. <laughs> I, I wouldn't. You know, um, well, anyway, that's another story. But anyway, made all kind of different products. So he called John and said, hey, my, my son-in-law is moving. Um, moving back to Memphis, is, is there, if you, you, you got anything that you could get him to do? And John Doggett says, well, does he like hard or can he do hard work? And my father-in-law said, yeah, I think he can do hard work. He Grew up in a furniture store and, and, uh, seems like that. And he said, well, he's got a job if he'll show, show up. So John Doggett hired me without ever talking to me. Oh, well. And so, uh, after we moved back to Memphis, I went and met John Doggett on the side of the road. <laughs> it was my first <laughs> meeting with him. Um, and he took me to this chemical plant where we were going to be working. And, and when we walked into it, I, uh, I won't go into all the details. But I left that day and and went to talk. Went came back home to Jill, and she said, "How did it go?" I said, "Baby, he has taken me to a place that I can't imagine any place on planet Earth more closely resembling hell than this chemical plant." the 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 the, the part that we were in a chemical plant with another uh, company that made this. Um, that made a sterilizer for chicken feed. And part of what they put in it was a sulfur-based product. So when they would oh, make God. this, it would catalyze in the air, and it would burn your eyeballs where where you wanted to just claw your eyes and scratch them out at the same time. And there would be days where I just like, what in the world have I gotten into? I would be so filthy when I would come home. My wife would not even allow me to uh, uh, bring my clothes in the house. I mean, that's how dirty this job was. But again, it was one of the best things that ever happened uh, to me. Um, man, I learned a lot that year. Man, I, I learned, number one, don't ever pray to the Lord. Lord, I'll do whatever you want me to do. I mean, there's already <laughs> it, it, biblical evidence for that. You know, anybody yeah. that ever said, hey, Lord, here I am, send me. Dude, you are in for it. You know, I mean, that's just yeah. the reality of it. But but John Doggett and the uh, one of his partners named Gil Brandon, they were... Um, they were on the board of a ministry called Truth Seekers Fellowship. Um, a guy named Tom Murray here in Memphis had started that time and had a really profound impact in Memphis for, for a lot of years. He was he had taught in Bible study fellowship, some other Bible studies, and so uh, they brought me on board to do editing, uh, for Tom's materials and do some teaching and so forth. So that opened up that door. So I started, I was I started with uh, Truth Seekers in 2000, December of 2000. I was teaching at Crichton College part time. Uh, so you, those are both teaching.
0: How'd you get into Creighton?
1: Uh, through my father-in-law, he, you know, he, he had a connection there and, um, I met with, I uh, can't remember who it was, but anyway, yeah. I, so I, I taught, they had a, they had a night program, um, where they offered, uh, night classes. And so I taught, uh, I taught in the Bible and theology department in night classes. And that, that was really a great experience, man. Those classes were, they, they went from, uh, I think it was 5:30 at, at night until 9:30, 9:30 or 10. So those are really long haul. You know, there was one day of the week, and mm. I taught a couple of them. That was that was tough. So I, you know, I, I would work all day at the chemical plant, uh, go teach those until late at night, a couple of nights, and um, that that is really where uh, for me, that's where. I really took all the tools that I had gotten at seminary and started to put them to use. You know that that's where everything really came together for me. That's where my love for teaching really developed. That's where everything came together, and it, and it really it made me hungry again to realize that that you don't have to, you know, you don't have to be teaching at that higher academic level. You know, and 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 I really enjoyed I really enjoyed teaching at that level. You know, when you're
0: um, no, are you talking about Crichton?
1: Yeah, at, at Crichton and at, and, and at Truth Seekers. It was kind of the, you know, Crichton, uh, I could require a little bit more of the students, you know, because they're in Bible college classes, so I could require a little bit, but I was also teaching classes for Truth Seekers, and, you know, and um, Tom Tom Tom's vision for Truth Seekers was he wanted to give, you know, seminary level classes for people that would never probably go to seminary, so, you know, he had a fairly high standard of what he wanted to teach, you know, so we would teach through, you know, whole books of the Bible expositionally, you know, um, which is, which is different from preaching a sermon. Cause you know, when you, yeah. when you teach that way, you're, you're really trying to get the argument of the whole book and understand the whole book and whatnot. So that's a little bit different skill set, but doing all those things, that's where my love for teaching really happened. And then about a year later. Uh, one of my one of my teachers that I had at Crichton College, uh, a fellow named Dr. Roger Clapp, who had made a real impact on me when I was at Crichton, he was at a little small church here in Memphis, and uh, their pastor had left uh, for another position a while back, and so he uh, asked me to come and fill in some, and I filled in, and then they wanted me to come and be the interim pastor um, and whatnot, and so I did that, and that was... Oh man, you talk about a rough time. That was a really (laughs) rough time. But I, but I learned that I'm not cut out to be a pastor. That that's not where my gifts are, you know?
0: Well, tell me some of what made it a rough time. And then. Oh Lord. Some of what made you realize that that wasn't for you.
1: Buckle up. This is, um, well, and let me preface this by saying, you know, I really encourage, um, men and women that are thinking about, uh, doing ministry full time or, or, you know, they, they feel like ministries they're calling, you know, I, I, I really hesitate, you know, every believer is in ministry of some type. Yeah. It's just some are called to do it, you know, more, um, more specifically, uh, or, or the Lord sets apart people to do it more specifically. And so, uh, you know, as you're figuring that out, I, I just really encourage people to do a lot of different things. You, 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 don't really know what's going to fit until you get out and do different things. I, I think, I think some, uh,
0: in some ways you got to fail into the right. Yeah, that's exactly yeah. right. Yeah. Yeah. And people uh, are, te- people are terrified of failure. now. Oh man.
1: Well, you know, you and I, uh, when we were working together, you motto: fail faster. The, 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 <laughs> the way you figure something out is by failing multiple times. You know, when Edison was making the light bulb, you know, at one point he said, I've figured out 10,000 different ways not to make a light bulb, <laughs> you know? And, and that's what I, that's what I feel like well,
0: with that. Another thing I've thought of too, is it's, it's kind of a line. Um, everybody wants more faith, but nobody wants into to be in a position where they have to exercise more faith. Absolutely. Yeah. And uh, so, I mean, putting yourself in positions where you have to depend more on God isn't yeah. a bad thing. And then no. um, putting yourself in a position where you're probably going to fail or do fail. Right. And then it's like, you see God's faithful even through that. And it's like, well, it, that wasn't as colossal yeah. or horrific a thing as I thought it would be.
1: Well, you know, the, so when my first daughter was born, all that, that we went through, and then this uh, going into this pastoring ministry too, uh, when my daughter was born at one point, I had, again, and one of the other ones, epiphany moments. And that is that if, and I think this is true. One of the main goals that the lord has in making us like christ is to get us to where we trust him implicitly without questioning you know without where where we trust him without fear or reservation or anything else and it hit me that the only way he can teach us to do that is to put us in positions where it seems like that's the most foolish thing to do right in other words he has to put us in places where there is a ton of doubt and you're not sure. And the only recourse is, is to trust the Lord, you know? I mean, that's, that's the only solution. And so both with the birth of my first daughter, and then with this pastoring thing, I felt myself in that a lot that I, you know, and this is going to sound terrible, but the Psalms, you know, give us precedent for that. One of the things um, that is critical, I think, for maturity is feeling a sense of abandonment from the Lord, where you feel like the Lord has abandoned you. Uh, that's one of the ways that he grows us up. I was, um, when, when, uh, I think this was my second daughter, when she was very young, no, this is my first daughter, when she was very young, we were in a store and she had a, she would kind of want to pull away from us and, um, you know, go do her own thing. And I, I would correct her several times. And then finally one day I thought I'm going to fix this. So she had pulled away and was going and do it in her own thing. And she would just kind of get in her own world. And so I just, um, I let her think that she had lost us entirely. You know, I, I, I kept her with an eye shot, just very close to her. And I watched her and let her get to the point of panic, right, to where she was like, oh no, I, man, I've really, where's mom and dad? What's going on, you know? Uh, and when she is just at that point of about to <laughs> break into tears and whatnot, you know, I appear, baby, I'm right here, I've been watching you the whole time. And as I did that with my daughter, you know, and again, the Lord did, I didn't hear a voice in my head or anything. It was just the realization. That's what fathers do, you know, uh, uh, in order to learn to trust your father, he has to put you in a place where you really come to know what trust is. And that's hard, man. That is, that is, I, you know, I think, um, you know, I think a lot of people, especially Americans, you know, now, man, okay, I'm gonna get real negative for just a second. You know, um, we Americans have this you terrible negative? fault. Yeah, me negative. Yeah. Negative and and uh, joyous about it at the same time. I don't know what you call that—optimistic <laughs> pessimism. But we, uh, yeah,
0: right,
1: yeah, right. Um, but you know, we as Americans have this tendency to think that that we're here to save the rest of the world. You know, that we're the only hope. And and I think that that comes down to an individual level as well. And and so you know, a lot of people go to school and seminary and they come out and they just think that ministry is going to be handed to him and oh you know going back to the intellectual pride thing and some of that we think oh boy we're, we're going to get out um and we're going to do all these things and you know things are going to be handed to us on a silver platter and you know we forget no that's not what's going to happen at all you're going to get out and the lord's going to beat you half to death uh to bring humility and to get you to the place where you can love and where you can have compassion and grace and all those things one of the you know one of the most profound In fact, this, for me, this may be the most profound statement uh, in the whole New Testament is in Hebrews where it says, which talking about Jesus and just a simple statement says that he learned obedience through the things that he suffered. You know, and I remember the first time I read that thinking, this has been mistranslated. I don't know what's going on here. Uh, But there's also this realization, Jesus who was sinless and never sinned, he still learned obedience. In other words, You can avoid sin, but that doesn't necessarily mean you're doing what the Lord wants
0: you to do. You know, that's the great lesson of the Pharisees, Jesus himself said. Um, And I think, too, it's like. Uh, you know, one of the virtues of the New Testament, the old translation for it is long suffering. I yeah, think it's that's right. Re- yeah. Rendered endurance in in the newer translations, but
1: yes, what, yeah. what are
0: you going to do to get the virtue of long suffering? Well, you yeah. got to suffer for a. You long got to long suffer. Time. Yeah, you got to yeah. suffer for what, a long what, time, right? <laughs> how, how do you how do you learn patience? Well, yeah. yeah, waiting and trusting. You know, and yeah. there's in, in some of those virtues, there is an inherent. Yeah, suffering. absolutely, and absolutely. So, um, yeah, uh, uh, that 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 resonates. And you think of Christ Himself had to. I mean, could you imagine if you said Christ was sinless but didn't suffer? It do, it doesn't make as big of his impression as right looking yeah. at his life and everything he suffered. And absolutely uh, yeah. looking at Adam and Eve who sinned in a perfect garden, and uh, Christ who stayed pure and holy and obedient in an already fallen and corrupted world. Yeah, that's- Saving a, a damned humanity.
1: Yeah. Oh, um, I mean, it's it's really mind blowing when you think about it. You know, I mean, it, it's really, well, that's, you know, uh, these types of things are, are one of the things that I see lacking a lot now in Christianity, you know, just speaking in general in America, is that there's not this sense of wonder, uh, not this sense of awed amazement at what father God has done in Christ for us. You know, I mean, if I were Jesus, I would have set this place on fire years ago, you know, I mean, yeah. much less die for it, but, but that's, but that's not who he is. I mean, that's not who the Lord God is. And so, you know, as he's trying to make us like him, yeah, suffering, you know, Paul, I mean, all throughout his letters, we, uh, we will be glorified with him if we suffer for him. I mean, that's, boy, do, nobody wants to hear that, but Um, but that's, but that's all part of it, you know? So I kind of turned that in back to the pastoral thing. So, yeah, so it was the, the church that I went into, it was, when I started, it was, you know, largely made up of older uh, believers and they wanted to try to bring some new life back into the church. And I won't go into all the details, but basically what happened was, is, you know, as younger families started coming into that church, a lot of these, younger families came from broken homes, you know, uh, parents that were divorced. Uh, They had had some, a lot lot of them had bad relationships with their parents. And so they were at the age where they were starting to have kids and they kind of came in with this mindset. We don't want to make the mistakes that our uh, family did. And so um, there was some pressure there um, for that older generation to disciple, you know, and step up. But the problem was that generation didn't know how to do that. They, 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 I, I remember I was in an elders meeting at that church and one of the guys that he was really feeling a lot of pressure to, to do more, mm-hmm. but he didn't feel like he was equipped for it. And I remember in the elders meeting, he said, Stacy, I, I know that these people want me to be, um, a spiritual father to them, but I feel like a spiritual orphan. I don't know what to do, you know? And, and I remember when he said that, I was just like, I mean, literally, it was like the life left me. I'm like, oh Lord, we've got bigger problems than I was even fully aware of. You know, so there was, you know, so there was this inherent change that needed to take place, and 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 so, oh, and I didn't know how to navigate having that younger audience come. In fact, there was, you know. <laughs> There were three segments in the church. There were the the younger audience, most of whom were not older than about thirty or thirty-two, and there was the older audience that was older than fifty-five. I was in my mid-thirties. Me and my wife were in our mid-thirties, and we were the only median part in in between those two groups, if that makes sense. And and as the you know pastor, that I I didn't know how to bridge that gap. I didn't know how to bring the people together. And so anyway, we had we just had a lot of looking back on it, the devil sowed a lot of seeds in that, that if I'd been wiser and known more, uh, I probably could have sidelined it, but it didn't. And so, um, yeah, so it was a great growing experience to know that I'm not equipped for that. I, you know, I mean, as a pastor in the South, you, you have to do visitations, you have to do funerals, you have to do weddings at that church. I did a lot more funerals than I did weddings, but, um, You got to know how to do that. And you got to know how to be with people, you know, that are hurting and suffering and sick and all that. We had a, there was one lady, a very quick story. She, um, she'd been a widow all of her life. She was, you know, she was very, she did things her way and everybody else needed to do things her way. You know, and she was, she was godly in her own way, but you know, she had some qualms. But uh, one of the things that she would do was, um, she set up everything for the Lord's table for, for the Lord's supper. And we did the Lord's supper every first Sunday. And uh, they did it in such a way that the church had a tradition of doing it in such a way that everybody was served. So, you know, you you just didn't have people who was serving. And so uh, the people who were you know, giving out the elements, there was a certain way you did things certain way you handed out the plates to make sure that everything was done. And so um, the first Sunday I had to do that. I didn't know they were doing all that. And so, Dr. Clapp came up to me before the service. He said, now, when you get up there, you know, you got to do this and that. It was about 12 things. i like, Dr. Clapp, I can't remember all that. I'm freaking out as it is. <laughs> listen, I'll get up and pray and introduce everything and, you know, do the normal stuff you do before the Lord's Supper. And I said, and then you do all that. He said, okay, we'll do that. So he gets up and he's doing everything <clears throat> and he gets confused. He can't remember who he's. <laughs> and man, listen, we're in a small, like maybe 20 by 20 room. And this lady who, who who got everything together for the Lord's Supper, uh, she always sat on the front row, just right there close to us. And, and this is the first time I've ever done this at this church. So Dr. Clapp gets all confused, and he's standing there for a minute, clearly. So as we're all trying to realize what's going on, this lady, at the top of her lungs, without any thought to us, she said, "Oh my, they've screwed up the Lord's Supper again." <laughs> I mean, there's nobody that did. Listen, I got cracked up, and I thought. Man, we're not gonna make it through it. I mean, I had to take like a minute to try to get my composure. But well, I'm when like, you okay. when
0: you when you get tickled, you don't dude, you know me. Down.
1: I cannot stop.
0: Man, you can't break good. it.
1: That was great. So, anyway, I, I I went up to her afterwards, and I said, "Thank you for that. That that really that really relieved a lot of pressure." And whatnot. not? And so she and I got to know one another pretty well. She was really man. She was she would just cut straight to the quick and. So she got sick, you know, toward the end of her life. And I had gone up, to, <laughs> I'd gone up to the hospital uh, to visit her. And uh, she said, uh, oh Lord, I must be in bad shape if they sent you up here. But <laughs> I, I really wish they had sent somebody that could have been a little bit more encouraging. <laughs> oh my gosh, it was so great. But uh, but there was something in there that was dead on, you know? Uh, yeah, and I, yeah, I... I, I I think I told her. I said, "Yes, ma'am. I, I, I've come to give you some good news and some bad news. I'll give you the bad news first. You ain't got long, but the good news is you're going to see Jesus pretty soon." <laughs> she laughed about it. We had a good time, but the, you know, I just, you know, I, you know, I, for me, when I would go to do like the visitations and whatnot, I wouldn't know what to say to people. You know, I, I, um, I just, I, I couldn't. You know, I didn't know what they needed to hear. I would go with Doctor Clapp, and I would listen to him, and I would be like that's exactly what needs to be said. You know, that's exactly what needed to be done. I wouldn't have thought of that in a million years. I just didn't have an intuition for it. So I think I could do it better now, but back then, you know, mid thirties, I just didn't know, Yeah, I didn't know what to do. So there was a lot of that, you know, there's a lot of um, pastoring. There's a lot of, um, and I, I don't know the right word. This is not the right word and it's not a good word, but managing people, you know, making sure, people come together and and helping people see, when I, and I'm not very good at that either, I, you know, so v- very quickly, I learned what my weaknesses were, or, or really not weaknesses, but my insufficiencies in that, and so I knew that other people needed to come in and shore up those things, you know, so we we did get to the point where um, that church had always believed in a really, a you know, multifaceted ministry, so I took over most, most of the teaching, and we had other people that we were training to help with some of the care and so forth and so on. But at the end of it, I just, the things just, I couldn't, I couldn't do what I needed to do to keep things together. And also uh, providentially Tom Murray, Tom Murray had had uh, leukemia uh, from, I guess the late nineties onward. So by the time I had him, he had already been through a round of it. And so in 2004, he had gone to MD Anderson for a stem cell transplant. And uh, in 2005, he went to be with the Lord in August of that year. And so when he went to be with the Lord, the board uh, asked me to be the general director for truth seekers and to take over after Tom. And I told him, boy, this is a really bad idea, but, oh, this may be this, you know, this may (laughs) mean that this is transitioning me out of that, you know, that pastoral role at the church. So So I I became the director of True Seekers in 2005 and been doing that, you know, ever since. That's what I do full time. And that is, you know, uh, me and my brother-in-law, he's a pastor in Little Rock. And we often talk about, you know, we we think about three levels of teaching, you know, you kind of have the high seminary, you know, like you were saying a minute ago, the high tower, really academic intellectual stuff. Then you got the bottom rung, which is, you know, more pastoral care. You know, people want to, people want to um, hear things that are practical and that they can live, you know, that they can put into practice. And then there's kind of a middle territory where, you know, you're, you're, you're trying to bridge that gap from the seminary, you know, to the practical, uh, applicational part of it. And that's kind of where I feel like we fit in and where I feel like my ministry is. It's taken some of the things that I've learned in seminary and, you know, hopefully bringing them down to a level to help people make more sense out of the scriptures. In fact, one of the things that that people have often said, said people say this about Tom, and they and they've said that uh, this said they said this about our ministry in general. As they go through uh, what we offer at True Seekers, they say, you know, I had all these pieces of the puzzle, you know, from my experience, but you've helped me bring it all together and see the full picture, you know, to put everything together. And that's what I feel like has made the biggest difference for me in my own growth, being able to. See, see the big picture of things and see how it plays out. So a lot of my ministry has been focused around that teaching, um, teaching with that, that in view and so forth. And so, and it's really a great, you know, what I'm doing at True Seekers, um, I, I get to do teaching, you know, but also uh, write, do some publishing, do some graphic design. I, I get to do a lot of different things that keeps it fresh for me. I can't do just the same thing over and over again, which was which what would have killed me about being an academic environment, you know, just studying Hebrew all day long, man, I get so bored of that, you know, and you have to specialize if you're going to teach yep. at a higher level. What well, you know, I think of myself as a generalist. I like to do a lot of different things halfway. Well, you know, I'm not excellent at anything, but I can do a lot of things good enough to,
0: you know, to, to, to get yep. something done. Uh, uh, so circling, that's been great to be able to do that. Circling back a little bit, I'm yeah. kind of cur- curious. I don't think I've ever asked this of you, uh, but how did that, you know, short little stint in pastoral ministry change your view of pastoral ministry and pastors uh, kind of, you know, before you went into it, yeah. after you got out of it, how how did it change your uh, perspective on that? Uh, pastors have the hardest job in the world. Um it's it's so you you have, um, and you weren't even I, pastoring during a pandemic, right? Oh, just kidding.
1: <laughs> I can't imagine. I mean, you know, we there there. Were, I mean, ever since Paul has his ministry, there are factions within the church. You know, I'm of Paul. I'm of Apollos. That's always been true. There were factions at the church I was at. I know there's factions at the church you're at. I'm sure. You know that that's part of the reality of being in a church. Uh, I will not say who said this to incriminate them, but one of the most insightful things that I've ever heard about the church in America is a brief statement that says people in America don't go to church because they want to change. In other words, they don't go to church. Let me say it positively. They go to church and they want to do the same things that they've done over and over and over again. You know, the, the tradition plays a really, really strong role. So a pastor has a really difficult time of navigating, um, you know, that divide between tradition and culture, you know, to speak aptly, you have to, I think in a lot of ways, you have to guard the tradition because our whole faith is built on tradition, you know, the scriptures and the word and, and the reality of history. But there's also a sense in which that tradition needs to speak cogently and powerfully to the culture. And that means innovation that, you know, we're not changing, the core. We're not We're not changing the truth, but we've got to figure out how to communicate it in a way that connects because things change very quickly. And I think it's harder to do now than ever with social media and all the nonsense that's taken place. Uh, very, very difficult. So, you know, a lot of respect. Pastors have the hardest job in the world. You know, I mean, you, you're trying to pull people together that want to run in different directions, and that's very, very difficult, you know. And, and clearly, I mean, the Lord is there. He's with you. He's going to help you. But it's still it's a very difficult task. I, the the, the uh, our theme verse for true seekers is uh, Colossians 128, where Paul says, uh, "We proclaim Christ, warning and teaching all people with all wisdom, so that we may present everybody mature in Christ." And uh, then the verse that comes right after that, I think, is really critical. And he he says he goes on to say, uh, "And to this end, I have labored." Uh, I have, uh, I have. Uh, the, the word he uses there in Greek is literally, he's worked his fingers to the bone, you know? It is hard work. It, it is, diff- ministry is difficult work if you're doing it right. If it's easy, something is not in place. You know, that, that's, anytime somebody comes in and be discouraged about ministry or whatever, I'm like that, uh, rejoice, you're doing it right. If it's hard, you're doing it right. And so well, pastors, I think-, I think, are at the middle of that,
0: you know? <clears throat> Speaking from personal experience, it can also be really difficult when you're doing it wrong.
1: Yeah. Well, yeah. (laughs) And so, you know, and, and yeah, and I should have put before that, you know, after I listened to what they're saying, yeah, there are some people that are doing it wrong that are bringing the problems on themselves. And that's a whole other thing, you know, but for people that I hear, I think, yeah, you're doing all the right things, but it's, it's just hard. You know, you, you was expecting it to be not that, and that's what it is. So I really got a respect for that. Also, you know, um, Toward the end of that, I was teaching, I can't remember what I was teaching, but it was in, uh, we were in 2 Corinthians, where, where Paul uh, talks about, you know, we have this treasure and uh, clay jars uh, so that the extraordinary power of God uh, does not come to us. It, it belongs to God. It doesn't come from us. And then, you know, Paul then, he talks about we've we've experienced uh, trouble on every side uh, we're crushed, but we're not perplexed. We're driven to despair. Um, but we're, we're persecuted, but we're not abandoned. You know, all those things that he goes through, I mean, that's difficult. And then, and then he says this, he says, uh, always carrying, see, he has always carrying around in our body, the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may, may also be made visible in our body. And then he comes to the conclusion. So death is at work in us, but life is at work in you. Uh, Another passage in uh, Romans 15, 3, Paul's talking about Jesus, and he says, uh, 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 even Christ himself did not come to please himself, but instead, as it is written, the insults of those who insult you have fallen on me. In other words, Jesus didn't come to please himself. He came to receive the insults, uh, the persecution that should have fallen on others. He, He came to receive um, the destruction that should have fallen on us, right? He's living for the sake of another. And thinking about those two passages side by side, a pastor, I I think a pastor has to really get it in their mind and really anybody that's in ministry. Number one, it's not about you, right? You have got to be the primary example of carrying the cross around. You got to be dying to yourself daily, uh, giving of yourself. You got to have the death of Jesus working in you so that the life of Christ can be present in the lives of the people that you serve. One of the, one of the things that happened when I was at the church, um, we, <laughs> this is so crazy the way things work. Uh, we had, there was a large segment of the church that was just going to leave. They, they were just ready to walk away because of some of the things that were happening there. And so uh, I found out about it. And I had uh, probably seven families over our house one Friday night, and um, I said, listen, y'all, y'all don't go away. Give me, just give us another chance. Let, let, let me, let me go talk to the elders. Don't walk away yet. Let me go in and, and just give me, give me a couple of weeks. Just, just wait before you do it. And so after a long meeting and prayer, they said, okay, we're going to wait, but you know, this is it. I mean, if some things don't change. we We just can't, we just can't keep on doing what we're doing. So that Sunday, uh, I got up to preach. And we, we the way we used to do things, we would have the first hour, we would, uh, you know, we'd have the normal service preach and whatnot. And then the second hour, out 45 minutes or so, we would all hang around and we would discuss what we had done in the, the service. You know, instead of having Sunday school, we would talk about the sermon and things like that. And so in that second meeting, one one of the elders got up and accused me of. Pretty much fomenting, in fact, this was my last, this is when I gave my resignation, uh, fomenting, you know, the division within the church. And he had heard that I'd had a meeting at my house where we were planning to take a group and start another church, plant another church. Uh, number one, that couldn't have been further from the truth, you know. Secondly, uh, this guy was all away, all he was one of these people that was always really big about you know, doing things the biblical way, and a couple of times it had come up about, you know, confronting people that you had a problem with. You confront them in private, you know, and then if they don't listen to that, then you go on and whatever. So he's just accused me of this in, in public, and um, I didn't say anything. I just, I said, okay, um, we're going to need to pray about this and do whatever. Now, what they weren't expecting was, is that night at the service, I came back with my resignation letter that I'd written <laughs> several weeks back, because I knew it was probably going to uh, be necessary at some point, but gave that, and um, uh, there were several other things where, for the sake of the sake of the church, I had to let people think the worst about me. You know, I had to. Uh, there, there, there were some things that I knew the truth about that I could have shared publicly, but in doing so, it would have damaged other people, right? It, it would have severely hurt other people, and. To be a leader, you know, to, to lead the Lord's people, and, and and I don't even want to say that. I want to say to be an example to the Lord's people as the Lord himself is leading us. That means we have to do what he did, die to ourselves, accept the insults that should have been due somebody else, and bear those up so that somebody else can live, so, so that somebody else can grow. And if you are not willing to do that, you cannot be the pastor or shepherd of a church, because to me, that is central to that job, you know, and it is our, listen, we had several things where rumors were started that just weren't true, and um, my wife was livid, I mean, you know, and, and let me say, I've got a fiery temper, you know, I man, I, one of the things that I struggle with with the Lord is is uh, bad language and fist fights. I mean, I, you know, to me, those soft, quick, <laughs> Problems a lot quicker than,
0: uh, you know, doing the right thing. I've seen your old house door with a hole in it. I know, you know what the, you're talking about. And, and, the, and, the, and the crazy thing is I've never actually been in a fight my entire life. You well,
1: know, I, <laughs> I wanted to, but, you know, my wife would get livid about that. And I, you know, I would say, baby, I, you know, it's my role and 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 this was this was later on. this is not something I knew up front. I just you know, but I would say maybe it's my role to take this. I, I'm the one who's got to take it because it would crush other people. Uh, it won't crush me, but it'll crush them and so I can't you know I've got to do it i've I've got to take this up and so that was um that was really that's hard I mean that's difficult and, and I will say to to follow up to that, uh there were some people that we really we really got crossways with I mean it it was really rough, you know, and, um, uh, every one of those people we have reconciled, you know, in the, in the past years. In fact, and, uh, one of the, one of the people specifically came up, I just ran into him in public. Um, and he said, brother, he said, I had no idea what I was doing to you back then. I had no idea that what I was saying was lying and not true. I don't know how you didn't beat me (laughs) half to death, you know? And so there's been reconciliation in that, you know, and that's part of, you know, that's, that's part of working things out in the Lord and so forth. Still, it's still quite difficult, you know, but that for me, that that's really what I learned in that. And um, I am, and, and let me, you know, also the other thing is learning how well you deal with other people. I'm, I'm am i I'm hugely introverted, you know, so being around people all the time really sucks the energy out of me so that I don't have a lot to give. And so when you're a pastor, you know, when you're in that role, um, it, um, you gotta, you gotta be of a personality type where you can deal with that, you know?
0: Well, and like, <clears throat> kind of to add on to that, it's, in addition just to the interaction, because I'm yeah. noticing this and the difference between a senior pastor and associate pastor. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. Is the the type of expectation and the yes. level of expectation uh, jumps incredibly from the yes. associate to the senior. Absolutely, and then um, also the type of things that you're interacting yeah. with people with. Yes, yeah. People are are not always bringing the best news or the best things up in front of you. It's that's right. The hardship, the conflict, the difficulty. Yes. So, you know, and, um, I, I think it was actually you that pointed this out to me that most people aren't introverted because they're disconnected from people. It's because they're too connected from yeah, people. right, too connected yeah. to people, and you feel that connection yes. and you feel those expectations. Um, and then, you know, it's like there's a lot of sorrow you deal with. there's a oh, lot man. of pain yeah. you deal with. and um, You know, I noticed in my own life, my, uh, you know, watching my dad as a pastor and me as a pastor is like, one thing I feel like with him is he, he can enter into Mm. very hard, very difficult situations and engage fully in it. And then after he leaves that setting. Yeah. It falls off. Right. Yeah, Like with me, I feel like I've got the thing with me.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Cause
0: I, I, I mean, I don't handle emotion well. And then I just yeah. process it slowly. Um, so, yeah, it's a, 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 a I think that plays into it well as well for us. Um
1: oh, yeah. I, introverts
0: I'm, who have difficulty handling emotion.
1: <laughs> yeah. A good uh, a good friend of mine recommended a book last year called The Other Half of Church. And it's a uh, book by a counselor. He's a uh, what is it? Called? Yeah, there you go. Right, right there, right there. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: Um, I've only read about, you sent it to me, but I've only yes, read yeah. 20 or 40
1: pages. So. Um, this guy, Jim Wilder, he's a, what is he, he calls himself a neurotheologian. He's done some study in neuroscience and how our brains actually work. Um, anyway, I, I won't get into that, but a huge part of the book is cultivating joy. How Everything hinges on joy, you know, and it's so wild. About three years ago, I, I was reading through the gospels. One of the things I do often is I'll I'll read through books or sections with a very specific question in mind. And then, you know, so I'll be aware of where these things show up. So I read through the gospels and the question I was asking was, uh, what is it that, what, what does the Lord specifically offer us? You know, uh, like in the statement, I've come that you may have life and that you might have it abundantly, you know? So when Jesus is telling us about the type of life that he offers, what is he offering? And I was really surprised at how many of the passages relate to joy and some of the most profound practices I've come that you may have joy. And so that your joy may be complete, right? I want you to have my joy. Wait, Jesus joy. You know, I, sometimes I think people read through the gospels and they don't think about Jesus being a very joyous person. And I know that because of the terrible art that's been made about, him. you know, <laughs> this, you know, this modern, effeminized, joyless Jesus, nobody well, wants I, to follow, you know?
0: I think also part of it, and man, like I'm going through the Beatitudes right yeah, now, yeah, yeah, just stuff you've been talking about that hits right on it. Because one of my emphases is like every single one of these things Jesus is calling us to be, yeah, is extremely costly. And yes, I think about you, you've talked about meekness in pastoral ministry yeah, yeah. and what that cost you, yeah, in your reputation and. Yeah. Uh, you, you know, makes your wife angry when people are saying yeah. things about you. Yeah. And uh, now you some about, things are
1: true and it's okay. It's just the untrue. Yeah. things. You
0: know? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, I'm another, sorry. another, another thing, uh, you know, one pastor was call, complaining to his wife one time, they're like, they're saying these things about me and you know, they're not true. And yeah. his wife just said, well, aren't you glad they don't know the truth? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> uh, <Yeah. laughs> that'd be a lot worse, wouldn't it? Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, you know, you talked about meekness and the cost. You, you know, what you were doing was peacemaking, trying yeah. to make peace. Yeah. Cost- and the danger the danger with peacemaking is you get in between two hostile parties yeah. and uh, you're the most likely one to get hit. Absolutely. Um, yeah. it, like these things are costly. Uh, and uh, Sorry, circling back to joy. No, go ahead. Yeah. But in the Beatitudes, it's all about how to be blessed. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. But yeah. basically, a lot of what he's saying is you've got to be miserable to be blessed. Yeah. Right to be yes. spiritually blessed, right. you have to go through uh, uh, forms of earthly uh, misery and and forfeiture. Yeah. So you know you got to be poor in spirit. You got to mourn these things. So I I think in the depictions of Jesus, they've they've depicted those without depicting the blessing that he's pursuing. Yeah. You, you yeah. know, it talks about he endured the cross for the joy set before, set before him. him. Yeah. Absolutely. And it's like what type of joy? Yeah, gets you excited about going through a cross. Yeah, and then a, another thing that's convicting to me because I'm just kind of a keep your head down and plow forward is the joy of the Lord is our strength. Yeah, that's right. And if you yeah. don't, if you don't have joy, you're not going to have any strength. You're no. not going to have any endurance. You're not going to have any power
1: to accomplish the, what you need to. And, and and it's all that it's you know it's the rejoicing in the sufferings, not 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 rejoicing before or after. It's rejoicing in. You know, and 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 I think the context for that is is knowing, you know, as Paul says that suffering produces perseverance, and perseverance perseverance produces um, approved character, right, godliness, and so forth. So you know, there's always the string of is that suffering produces uh, Christ likeness in us, so we can rejoice in it. We know that the Lord is using that primarily to conform us to the image of Christ. You know. Um, kind of going back to the pastoral thing, the thing I was mentioning about the Jim Wilder stuff in that book, it's either in that book or one of his uh, spoken messages, he talks about expectations being the greatest enemy to joy, you know, and, and, and to me that, boy, that's a really great insight. Uh, one of, uh, that's been, you know, one of the things that I've seen has been very problematic in every ministry that I've been part of is that people setting expectations that are not realistic, number one, are setting expectations, and then when they're not met, uh, everything is so wrapped around those, everything just seems to fall apart for them, you know, and so um, having the right expectations, the, the proper expectations is critical, I think, for that, and And again, going back to, you know, we we come out of seminary or we, you know, enter into ministry and we have the expectation, oh, this is going to be great. And then you start getting your brains beat out, which is supposed to happen. What in the world is going wrong here? Uh, Probably nothing. It's Well, again, you got to look at what's going on, your motives and what you're doing and so forth. But, um, you know, all ministry is difficult. You know, it is, it, it, Jesus, it was hard for Jesus. It's hard for Paul. You know, it, when I, when I read through those letters of the new Testament, I just think, Ooh, nobody would willfully choose to go into this. I I've had over the years, I've had a lot of guys uh, and, 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 and some, and some women, I, I generally don't do a lot of, well, I don't do any one-on-one type stuff with women. So, it, and I'm not trying to just, you know, say that this only applies to the men. That's just, I don't, for safety's sake, I don't. I don't uh, do a lot of counseling. do a lot of intimate stuff. Yeah, with women. Yeah. Um, in fact, none at all whatsoever. Uh, so, some of the guys that I've talked to uh, that are thinking about <laughs> going to seminary, they, you know, they all come to me and said, uh, "You know, I really want to go to seminary, and uh, um, I, I want to be a pastor." And I said, "Well, okay, uh, no, okay, we need to figure out one or two things here that that allows me to to know well, really, one of three things." Um. First thing is is that you're criminally insane. The second is that you're a complete moron that you don't know what's going on. And the third thing is is that God has called you to this. Uh and it's probably a mixture of all three. But yeah, we I was really gonna need say, to say they are out.
0: mutually <laughs> exclusive. <laughs> <Right>?
1: <laughs> <Sure>. <laughs> you know, uh cuz nobody in their right mind if they knew what they were getting into would want to do these type of things, you know? I mean, uh, some of, the, In some of the ways we present the gospel, I think, in modern modern times, it's this idea of, you know, if you believe in Jesus, he's going to solve all your problems, and uh, which is true in the eternal level, you know. But, you know, there's this, yeah, right, right. But there's this expectation that that's going to be true in life. And the reality is, man, the minute you trust Christ, you're on the enemy's radar. Things are going to get worse. It's not going to get better specifically, you know got hard times ahead because the very thing, and again, you know, we can look at multiple scriptures, the very thing that the Lord uses to conform us to the image of Jesus is suffering, pain and suffering. And the the, the other thing is, I think, uh, within, you know, Christianity in the West, we've left that goal out too often. We, we, I, I, it, it just seems to me that we're not emphasizing enough that the whole object of the exercise that we're going through is to be made like Jesus, man, that is a high standard. I mean, that's a, that is a reality I cannot fully get my mind around, you know? I mean, boy, I've got a lot of work. I mean, the Lord's got a lot of work to do on me for that to be true, and it's going to be painful work. You know, C.S. Lewis has that great, um, great analogy of, you know, it's it's like the Lord is is carving uh, people out of great blocks of stone, and he's chiseling and hammering away at us, and, you know, and the, the blows of the hammer and Chisel, which uh, hurts so deeply, are the very things that make us perfect, you know. And and I think that's such a great analogy of the Christian life. It, it, it's also, I think, what as whatever ministry we're in, that we got to help people be soberly aware of that, you know, as we teach them that this is a this is a difficult process you're in. It's not easy. It's not all sunshine, rainbows, lollipops, unicorns, and candy. I mean, it's you know, I mean, it's tough.
0: Um, yeah. So, yeah. I mean, Jesus does warn you got to count the cost.
1: That's right. Yeah.
0: Which I feel like a lot of evangelism is turned into a sales pitch. And what do you do in a sales pitch?
1: Yeah, absolutely. You, highlight,
0: you yeah. highlight the positives and you ignore the negatives. That's right. Yeah. Does That's the opposite. Right.
1: There's a, you know, and we don't have a, you know, when I look at the, when I look at the New Testament, especially with that, there, there's a great, um, I think it's in the Luke account. Yeah, I think it's in Luke where Jesus gives one of the you know you got to count the cost, and he gives a couple of examples. It's 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 really interesting that in that context you have two things that happen. Uh, uh, after he does that teaching a little bit more, uh, it says now many of the many of the leaders pulled away from him and wouldn't listen to him anymore. And then in the very next chapter, after he preaches about counting the cost, you've got the sinners and the tax collectors that are flocking to him to hear him right and to and to be healed, and to to follow him, you know, and one of the the, the thing that I think there that happens in those cultures is, is that Jesus has always resonated with those who have no other place to go, those who are down and out, you know, the the first beatitude, blessed are the poor in spirit. Um, uh, I I like the way Dallas Willard translates that, uh, blessed are the bankrupt in spirit. These are the people who are the spiritually homeless you know, spiritually bankrupt, spiritually, they're at their wits end. Those are the people that Jesus connects to. Uh, in America, we are mostly so, so blessed that Jesus is just something that we add on to all the rest of the blessings without any real thought to the commitment, you know, that he's calling us to. Um, and I, I know that's a terrible thing to say, but I've just seen that. I, I, I remember hearing a, a, uh, Testimony from a fellow who grew up in India, uh, very, very poor. Um, and then he had he had uh, through a long set of circumstances, he had wound up here in the states and had a ministry. I don't remember exactly what his ministry was. The thing that I remember him saying was he said, um, he said, you know you Americans are so blessed and you don't even know it. And so many things are taken for granted and And at one point he said, uh, when I was a homeless person well this is just so profoundly sad He said, when I was homeless in India, I dreamed of being homeless in America. <laughs> I'm like, what did he just say? You know, he was like, listen, even 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 homeless in America can find something to eat and a place to sleep. You know now that 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 may be overstating it, But you know, his point is is that um I think sometimes we tend to overlook you know, just how easy we have it here in the West. Now you and I know those days are evaporating very quickly. We are at the, we are without a doubt in the last days of the Republic. I mean, there's, there's no question about that unless some miraculous thing happens, some <laughs> revival or awakening or whatever, you know, the, um, the, the current technological factor, social media, uh, some of the things that are taking place, um, almost guarantees the collapse of democracy if something's not done about it. I mean, look at the The last two years. I mean,
0: what more- The are deepening and multiplying. That's
1: right, yeah, that's right. And we are, I mean, in America, we're now living in a multiverse. Everybody is living in their own universe and can't figure out why everybody won't get on their page with them, you know? Completely deceived. I mean, um, you know, that's, you know, I think that's another sobering thing, you know, in ministry, one of the things you, at least for me, that I had to come to realize is, is that we are all masters of self-deception. And if you don't realize that early on, you can really talk yourself, convince yourself, you know, uh, uh, think yourself into a real hole. And that's especially true here in the West, in America. We are, we are
0: masters of self deception
1: did you and you so, notice
0: that in yourself or in others yeah
1: in, a, in 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 myself first you know well and and it, and it comes to getting mad at other people first you know i mean part of the spiritual journey is getting mad about something in other people and then realizing wait a minute i'm doing that same thing and then the third step of all shoot i really wish i hadn't realized that cuz now i got to do something about it
0: you know i can't yeah so was there anything was there anything that in particular that you realized that about that you were deceiving yourself about in ministry
1: Uh, how smart I was, you know, how, how, how intellectually apt I was for things. You know, I I had to go through a period of that, you know, um, um, for me, one of the big things was thinking that I can be everything to everybody. Oh, well, let me say this. That's not the right way to say it. The right way to say this to be pleasing to everybody. I can please everybody by doing everything that everybody wants me to do. Now there's a difference in, you know, being all things to all people, like Paul says, so that, so that, you know, they may hear the gospel and whatnot. Here, I'm talking about trying to please everybody. Nobody can do that. And uh, I hate conflict, you know, man, I hate conflict. So I would try to avoid conflict by being, by trying to please everybody. And of course, that's surefire way into, you know, just uh, the crash. And that's largely what happened when I was pastor in the
0: church, you know, trying yeah. to please everybody. I, I struggle with that too. Yeah. And, and I think part of the struggle too goes, there are some times when you need to be meek and, and bite the bullet. Yes. And then there are other yeah. times where you got to speak the truth and love and deal with the consequences. And, um, absolutely trying to discern which is which. And when am I just being lazy or avoiding conflict for the sake of a false peace versus, yeah. um, when am I being meek or when am I doing, when am I going into conflict to protect myself or my reputation? I mean, it's, yes. it's hard. And I know I've already, especially in this past year, mismanaged several uh, situations of, yeah, I could have, I could have handled that better. I could have communicated better. Right. Well,
1: you know, save
0: would- myself some headache if I'd a- approached things.
1: Teaching through, uh, teaching through the gospel of John set several years ago, you know, right there in the first chapter, you have that great statement, you know, the word has become flesh and dwelt among us um, as the one unique one from the father. And, and then John says, uh, and we have seen his glory full of grace and truth. Yeah. John doesn't say we have heard his truth that's full of grace and glory. No, we've seen his glory. That's full of grace and truth. I, I, I think if you, if you look at the Gospel of John, every other story after that is an illustration of how Jesus presented the glory of God. Either, well, through grace and truth, right? And uh, with some, he leads with truth. So, like with Nicodemus, he he leads with truth because Nicodemus's um, arrogance needs to be broken. And the only way you can break people's arrogance is through hammering them with the truth. So that's what he does. Um, uh, he hits, you know, Nicodemus with these profound truths about the kingdom that Nicodemus ought to know, and he has no idea about. You know, Jesus. One boy says, "You're a teacher of Israel, and you don't know these things." In other words, Nicodemus, son, you got to go back to school. Uh, you need to wake <laughs> up. This is, you know, this is elementary. Education on the kingdom, right? Jesus comes and
0: he has to take us back to school.
1: Yeah. And then and then uh after he hammers him with the truth, he closes out with grace, right? Um, John 3:16, right? Most <laughs> famous Bible passage in the world. Who, whoever, you know. Um, God is in his only one unique son, so that whoever believes in him, Nicodemus will not perish, but have eternal life. you understand what I'm talking about here, right? And we know that Nicodemus comes back around in the end. So he hammers him with truth, but brings him back around to grace. Then you get uh, the woman at the well, the Samaritan woman at the well. Jesus begins with grace and ends with truth. Because if he had hammered her with the truth, he would have broken her, right? In the in the wrong way. So he begins with grace. Hey, uh, uh, give me something to drink, you know? Um, you, you being a Jew, you know? And by the way, Jesus is out there at midday, Right. All, all the you know all the women of good repute are out there in the morning getting the water. this This woman comes out at midday because she's shamed. She doesn't want to be around these other women and and feel the you know shame from that. And here's Jesus, a man at the well at midday, that implies a lot of things in that culture that are not good about Jesus. Uh so she's on her guard, and right? And Jesus asked for a drink. and Uh, And she gives him the drink and, you know, and he says, listen, if you had asked me, I would have given you water and you'd never have to come back to this world before. So he leads with grace with, if you knew who I was, boy, blow your world apart. And then he ends with truth, right? Uh, You say you're not married. You said, right. Because, you know, you've had, what is it, five or six other husbands. And the man you're living with now is not your husband. The awesome thing about that is that when the light comes on for that woman, you remember, and she runs back into town, she probably runs back into the bar, where all of her friends are, where they've been hanging out, right? And she goes in, and what does she say to him? This, I, I love this. She says, Listen, I met this man out by the well, and he told me everything I ever did. Could he be the Messiah, right? He's hit her with the truth, but he's hit it with her. He's hit it with her in such a way that she's rejoicing over it, right? He said the truth about me, but he hadn't condemned me for it, right? You get the grace going in there. And almost every story in John is like that. And I think that's something that we're called to uh, as we serve the people of God, we've got to present the glory of God that both represents truth and grace. Now in our culture, we want to present everything with grace without truth, you know, and, and it had, it had been the case, I think just a couple of generations back, maybe one generation back that it was all about truth without grace or truth at the expense of grace, maybe, yeah. you know, and we tend to swing back and forth. But if we're going to display the glory of God, it has to be both of those things, you know, and that's hard. I mean, uh, for me, that was one of, I think the, the question was, how did I, I can't remember you asked me how I learned humility in that or whatever, but, but learning that I don't know how to do that well, and I need Jesus to teach me how to do that. You know, I, 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 I need to learn how to do that. I don't know how to do that. Um, and so that's been a, that, that's been a great learning experience uh, for sure, but. I think it gives us a great pattern, you know, for what we're called to
0: now pivoting a little bit, you kind yeah. of feel like you're, you're calling and you're gifting, um, work well in a teaching setting. So yeah. let, let's talk about teaching for a little bit. Sure. And I really enjoyed working with you and learning more things, um, about how to teach and how to teach well. Yeah. And, um, I'll kind of try and set you up a little bit. So, uh, you know, one of the things I think that can happen um, with people coming out of seminary, I think you could do a whole podcast on what you have to unlearn uh, oh, from seminary because that's one of your favorite topics.
1: Hey, we might need to do that together. That that would be fun. Would be, yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. Unlearn, unlearn. I've got some other
1: people we could bring in on that. I got, hey,
0: I know. Um,
1: a, I know a former, well, actually, a retired Dallas Seminary prof <laughs> that has some insight on that. <laughs>
0: Yeah, that would be that would be fun. <laughs> yeah. um, and then well I won't tell you what I'll I want to pivot to after yeah. this. But, yeah, yeah. Go ahead. Um so and something that tends to happen and it's kind of natural yeah. to happen is you go to seminary you're with people who are studying the scripture interested hungry for the scripture at yeah. a at a masters degree level right. at a, at a you know secondary degree level. And then as as you come out of that, you go back into a Sunday school, a Bible yeah. study, uh, a pulpit, and, and begin to teach. And, and what you tend to, you, can, you tend to give what you got.
1: Yeah, that's so right. So
0: immediately yeah. after you're trying to um, teach the same way seminary pre- props or chapel speakers at a seminary yep. teach. And there's some things you've got to unlearn yes. to teach lay audiences well, right. e- everyday people well. What are some of those things that you've got to begin to do in order to do that well?
1: That is a great question, man. I mean, we could talk about this for hours probably, but for- well, That's uh, why I asked it to yeah. you. because I know you, <laughs> right. that question. Well, you know, to- to, to summarize, I, 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 maybe to boil it down, um, you got to get you, you have to kind of get out of the academic stuff and present it in a way that it doesn't sound academic. And and for me, the 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 way I think about it is, is um, and let me state it in form of a question. I think people come to hear the Bible taught for a number of reasons, but pretty high on the list is the one, does this work and does it really make sense out of reality? In, in other words, I, I guess you say, is this really true, right? Is this really real? And so uh, for me, um, people do not wanna hear about parsing Hebrew and Greek verbs. They don't care about tenses. Uh, that's largely over their head. Listen. Now this is going to, you know, this is going to sound negative, but y'all, I think most people agree with me. Most people barely made it out of English grammar in high school, so they're definitely not going to care about Greek and Hebrew grammar that they've never studied. And I didn't no even know they
0: for. taught that in Corinth, Mississippi.
1: <laughs> well, yeah, <I> mean,
0: <laughs> it
1: was stated, but I don't know. Um, so you know, so there, there, there's got to be this filtering of whatever you're doing through experience, you know? And so learning to teach from a place of experience. I, and, and I really think that, that, um, and, and I say this because of what people have said to me. I'm not necessarily evaluating my teaching this way, but um, people have come up to me after they've heard me they said, you know, you made that so clear. And I know that you really believe that. You know, you, you and and part of what I do is I try to share examples out of my own life. You know, I I, sh- I talk r- really openly about my own failures, uh, and I think that's really important. I, I think one of the things that Jim Wilder says, you know, in the other place, uh, other half of the church book is he says that that uh, w- within Christianity, within the church, we should be people who um, who um, how does he say, uh, talk openly uh, about our uh, failures and hide our successes, and I, I think there's a lot of wisdom in that, uh, in the sense of people want to know that following Jesus is going to make a difference, you know, that it is that going to do something for them, uh, but they also want to know that it's hard, because it's hard for them, you know, it's like you were saying, you know, pastoring. You deal with people that are suffering. You deal with people that are in a very difficult place, and if you don't feel like, if they don't feel like they you're in, you've been in that place with them, or you're in that place with them, people are not going to hear you. I, and and, I, and so many teachers that I hear and and pastors, to me, that's the thing that jumps out to them, uh, especially when they're using other people's illustrations or illustrations. That they've gotten out a book or something, you know. I, I, I you know, I try to encourage people that teach and do different. Use your own illustrations. Your life is the roadmap to share with people that Jesus makes a difference. You know that that this that this is powerful. These these are eternal issues, and He's made a difference in in your own life. You know, and so that means that you got to kind of bring it out of that academic side of things and, and put it to, uh, you know, where the rubber meets the road type of deal. Now you can't do that all the time. Cause you, you know, that's based on experience. And a lot of times, you know, I've, I've, I've told guys that are, that are really young, uh, you know, in their twenties and early thirties is that, listen, you, you got a lot of gifts and you got talent, but you don't have experience. And so <laughs> Don't do anything to wreck your ministry until you've had enough experience to know what you're doing. You know, Uh, you you know, that all comes with time. There there, there are so many things that I know now at 52 that I wish I could go back and tell myself at 32 when I was pastor in that church. I mean, so many things that I learned, but I I had to go through all that to get to where I am now, you know. So you got to, you know, for me, I have to bring it out of that higher level and and try to make it applicable. And I don't always do a good job of it. I, you know, my brain works in a whole different way, I I think from a lot of people's. And, and so uh, it's hard for me to figure out sometimes how to communicate and so forth. You know, the, 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 the other thing that I would say on that is, um, uh, you know, and I, man, I really struggle with this. This is my number one problem is people aren't worried about, you know, the volume of information that you're giving them. Uh, they're, they're, they're more interested in small things that make sense and can be applied, you know, that, that apply directly to what they're going to be dealing with tomorrow. And sometimes well, I get in the real trap of trying to do too much in too short a time. That, you know?
0: that <clears throat> in my mind, is one of the biggest yeah. traps for yeah. people coming out of the seminary.
1: I was talking... A, go ahead.
0: Well, I mean, I just think... I, I think we... Overestimate the volume of yeah. information, especially yeah. if it's theological information that people can understand, process, and apply. Yeah. And then if we're giving them more than they can uh, process if if we're giving them more than they can process and apply, in a way we're condemning them. Yeah. Because we're giving them information that they don't know how to act on. Um,
1: it's that's that's what a good friend of mine calls spiritual constipation. And now that's that's a terrible image. But yeah. man, it's, it's really apt, you know, it's giving people more than they can possibly digest, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's, yeah, that's a real, right. I was talking to a friend of mine just a couple of weeks ago. He was, um he thought he, he was thinking about going into ministry a while back. And so we, uh, when I was at the church, we gave him some opportunities to preach and whatnot. He was in Bible college at the time and he showed up the first Sunday to do his sermon. I said, so are you, did you write it all out? Or are you doing it? Cause I didn't really give him any help on it. I just let him kind of run with it the first time. Um, you know, I told him to pick a short passage. I got you know, some basic thing. So I said, are you gonna do an outline or did you write it all out? He said, I've got an outline that I'm going by. I said, let me see your outline. His outline was seven pages long. <laughs> I said, bro, I got great news for you. This is a fantastic outline. Uh, bad news is you're not gonna get past point one point one. on this. There's just no way, you know? <laughs> excuse me. And sure enough, you know, he didn't get that. But, you know, I think, I think part of that is, I think people that are, that are, um, that are called more to the teaching side of things. Uh, we get very excited about the things that we've learned, you know, studying the scripture yeah. and finding out things that have managed that this is, I learned this and man, it's changed the way I'm thinking about everything. And then we want to share that with everybody, you know? And so, you know, just want to, uh, Have it all come out, you know? Oh, yeah! You need to know about this, 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 and this. And then, you know, we forget that it it, that takes time. You know, just share a little bit, and then, just like the Lord's done with you, you'll learn as you go along. But you know, people get excited, and you want to throw everything out, and
0: (laughs) you know, do well. And sometimes (laughs) it's showing off too. I want to show off everything I've learned. Yeah, yeah. Trying to communicate. Absolutely, yeah.
1: I just Um, I just finished uh, I just finished a study of Revelation last year that took me two years to go through. I think by the time I got through it, it was like 52 hours, 52 or 53 hours, you know, and as I was finishing up, I just thought, you know, I've only shared uh, what I've said in all that time is just a part of what I know about the book of Revelation. There's so much more that could be said, you know, and man, it, I mean, who's gonna listen to 53 hours on Revelation? I mean, I'm not even gonna go back and listen to that, <laughs> you know, I mean, that is a lot. I mean, and so, uh, but you know, to me, it, it, what that's highlighting is is that we're never through studying scriptures. There's never, there's never an end to what can be learned. You know, there's a, never an end to what can be known. Uh, and so, teachers get get excited about that. You
0: know, we won't yeah. throw everything
1: out. And go well, going
0: it, so. to the going to uh, rather than the end, the beginning. Yeah. When you're thinking about an audience and and how to teach a topic, what are some of the questions? Uh, you run through because there's um, you know I think narrowing is a big problem for new teachers and it's I mean another thing I think that happens is you try and put seven hours of prep into a one-hour sermon Or or you give the conclusion of seven hours of work Yes. Uh, That you're ready for because you did seven hours, but somebody who's just walking into the room isn't prepared for How do you, what are the processes or the questions uh, that you go through in order to guard against that?
1: Boy, if I knew the answer to that, I wouldn't do it as much as I do. So I I do have some, I, I do have some guidelines that I shoot for. So when I, uh, First day, I met Tom Murray, who who started True Seekers, the ministry that I'm part of now. First day, I met Tom Murray. We I sat in his living room and we talked for I don't know three or four hours. And in that in that Tom Tom always said something profound. I mean, Tom had a real way of coming up with these turns of phrase and and really condensing things down in a really neat way. Uh, and one of the things that he said to me, he said, Stacy, what uh, what do you think is uh, what do you think the critical process is in making disciples. And I've, you know, this is after three years of Bible college and four years of seminary, you know, this is in, uh, this was in, uh, uh, I guess, early 2000. So this is at the beginning of the modern discipleship movement, you know, and whatnot. Um, And so uh, I didn't really know, you know, I said, Tom, I'm not sure that I know how to answer that question. And he said, well, you know, for me, it's, it's real simple. It's about teaching the truths in the right order at the right time. Man, that made a huge impact on me. Like I'd never thought about, there is a struck up. I had learned first in Bible college that all meaning comes from context, which is true, right? All meaning comes from context, but, but, Context is the structure that's innate in something. That if something's not structured right, it's going to be very difficult to find the meaning in it. So, whatever I'm trying to teach, I'm trying to think about that question: What are the the, the truths that I need to communicate? But what's the right order to teach them in? What's the, and what's the right time to teach them? I mean, I, there's been a lot of times where you know teaching. Uh, teaching in class, my I, I've, one of the things I say about teaching classes, you know, the way I do is my, my favorite time of class is what happens right before the class and what happens right after the class. That's always the best time. And especially right after, because that's where you really get uh, a lot of times, you know, the really serious students that have some deeper questions that they want answered. And several times I've had questions that, that people ask me and I say, you know, uh, I can answer that for you, but I don't think you're ready to hear the answer. Uh, and then I'll tell them, "Go read this and think about this, and then we'll talk about this in a couple of weeks. But I don't think you're ready for the answer to it. You know, so that's the thought of the the the, the right time thing. It, you know, and going back, I've, I've taken that taken that further. And one of the things that I always implement in my teaching as I'm thinking, thinking through, putting anything together is my definition for righteousness, which I think you know, you know I've talked about before. Uh, but in the Bible, I think I can make a case in the New Testament. That righteousness, you know, when we're talking about behavior, righteousness is doing the right thing, right? In the right way, at the right time, with the right motives. So the right thing, right way, right time, with the right motives. So that's been kind of a little thing that I go through as I'm thinking, uh, just generally. But then we have um, we have developed a, a discipleship curriculum called Milk to Meat. And over the years, as I've tried to refine that, um, I, I, have, I have worked that outline into what I think are seven topics that people need to learn in this order, in order for things to, in, in order to make maximum time with them. And, and the, the topics are, what is the larger story, right? Uh, how do we answer the question of where have we come from, why are we here, and where is everything going? So that's the larger story of the Bible, Genesis to Revelation that foundation needs to be laid. If you, if you don't have a basic understanding of that, then you don't have a context for the second thing, which is the gospel, understanding why Jesus really is good news. You know, uh, If you haven't heard the larger story and really understand how jacked up the world is and how jacked up I am, how jacked up you are, then the gospel doesn't have a context, right? So we need to understand the gospel, have an understanding for the gospel. Then after the gospel, there's identity. You need to know who you are in Christ. Uh, and we need to be constantly growing in that knowledge, in that identity, um, which is a really important part of brain development. That Jim Wilder book talks some about that, uh, which I think is really important. Then after that, the, the fourth part of it is kind of what I call the spiritual warfare element. Uh, if, you ta- if you start taking your identity seriously, the devil is going to stand against you, right? We wrestle not with flesh and blood, but against the rulers <laughs> and the principalities and the powers, right? Uh, this whole world lies under the power of the evil one, as John says, or Jesus says too. Um, and so we need to understand the enemies, right? We we have an external enemy, the devil that's at work in the world. And the more potent enemy is the sin that works in my flesh. Right? <laughs> uh, we are living in a time where a lot of people want to blame everything on the devil, which really, it's not the devil, it's the sin that works within them, right? It's It's what's going on within your own thoughts and minds. But putting yourself at the center of the universe, so you need to be aware of that enemy. You know, you need to be aware that that's there functioning. Then, once you have a good uh, a, a good sense of that, the the next question uh, becomes the question of, okay, so how do I grow in Christ likeness? And that's where I get into the question, the reality of the Holy Spirit. What's the Holy Spirit doing? Which naturally leads to, what's the church? Um, how how do we function as part of the body of Christ and in a local assembly? You know, that is shaped by The gifted people that Christ has given to the church, the apostles, prophets, you know, evangelists, shepherds, and teachers, as he mentions, uh, and then all the giftings that flow out of that. So, whenever I'm teaching, you know, especially whenever I go to a new audience, I think, do they know enough of the larger story and the gospel to do anything much past that? And if not, then I need to spend my time there focusing on those elements. And And by the way, you can take those seven things or six things. And find those in almost every passage of scripture, you know, they're being touched on in some way or another. And so, uh, you know, you, you can take anything that you're teaching and pull it up and set it in one of those contexts to give people insight that they may, you know, need wherever they are in, in their journey. But, you know, of course, that assumes that, you know, the audience that you're talking to. And of course, if, you know, if you're a pastor to church and you know your people, then you can do that to me. I find the really difficult things when I go to speak or teach a group that I don't know. You know, I don't know where the people are, um, and then I and then I resort to one or two, um, one or two techniques. Um, I can't remember who said this, but I, I think it's I think it's somewhat accurate, maybe overstated. It's helpful that that people are only moved to change when they're confronted with beauty, or something that makes them incredibly angry. <laughs> And I think I see Jesus doing that, you know. And so, if it's if if it's a crowd that I don't know, I, I generally go for beauty, you know. I don't want to, I don't want to, um, I don't want to stir them up too angry. I I, 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 you know. And there's so many profound truths. I was, I was asked to speak at a church one time, and I didn't really know what was going on at it. So whenever I do that, I I, I will usually teach out of a passage that's meant the most to me. And and that day I taught out of Ephesians where Paul, uh, Paul prays for the church, you know, I pray that you may, uh, that you be given a, a, a spirit of power. Uh, uh, no, that, that's not right. Uh, well, my mind went blank on it. Anyway, he, 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 he talks about, uh, that we'd be given a spirit to know, uh, and he talks about three things, the hope to which you've been called, the calling, uh, um, which you've been called in, uh, and the power, I'm, I'm sorry, uh, the hope to which you've been called, um of Christ, incredible inheritance in the saints, and the power that's been given to us you know, through the resurrection of Christ by the Holy Spirit. And then that I really focused on the idea of uh, Paul praying that we would know that we are Christ's inheritance. And I, I made the point that what Paul's saying there is not that um, we have an inheritance in Christ. What he's talking about there in Ephesians 2 is we are Christ's inheritance that when the kingdom comes, the thing that Jesus is going to inherit is us as his spiritual children, and he's pleased by that. He can't wait for that day, right? He can't wait till he uh, drinks that cup anew with us in the kingdom, right? That's, a, that's a, oh, it's an incredible idea. And I, and I went into this thing about, you know, being belo- God's beloved children, and he loves us so much that he, right now in heaven, Christ is sitting anticipating he can't wait for the day. When we're finally in his presence and we see him face to face and he claims us as his inheritance. And I went on with that and talked about, you know, Hebrews and the connection that he's not ashamed to call us brothers and sisters. And that, in fact, we are his children. We're, he who had no physical children has a great inheritance of spiritual children and, and went into to the idea of, you know, you are unique. you uh, You are part of his people, but there is nobody else like you. your story is your story alone, and your story has been given to display some facet of the Lord God's glory that no other human being ever in history will ever be able to do. What you're doing has eternal significance. Your life has eternal significance. And after going through all that, it's a really young girl, uh, maybe early 20s, came up to me, and I could tell she'd been crying. You know, I mean, she'd been weeping, and she was still kind of weeping, you know, had the uh, gasping for (laughs) bread thing. And she looked at me and she kind of grabbed me by the arm and she says, please tell me that what you were saying was true, (laughs) Mm. right? And it hit me, I think I was there only to talk to that one girl that day. Uh, Everybody else in that church, they might not have got anything, I don't care. I was there for that one girl maybe, you know? She said, uh, please tell me that what you're telling me is true, because if that is true, then that changes everything. I mean, that literally changes everything. And I said, daughter, welcome. You are awake, right? You are alive. And this is true. This is absolutely true. Uh, and we'll and we'll have proof one day. Uh, one day you and I will be standing in Jesus' presence and I'll look at you and say, see, I told you. Better than what you expected, you know? And for me, you know, I didn't know who I was talking to that day, but I know that that truth had done the same thing to me. It had changed everything, you know? I grew up, you know, having grown up in the church, I knew that Jesus loved me. I knew that he'd given my, his life for me. But for years I thought, yeah, but he doesn't like me. You know, he, he probably thinks I'm a jackass or something worse. You know, I mean, that, that's just kind of the way I thought about it. And then, you know, growing in that, it's it's just this reality of, man, He uh, he loves us and accepts us as friends and wants to be with us, you know? Uh, when when he says, you know, at the last supper, I've longed to eat this supper with you. You know, in Greek, there I'm going Greek, you know, but the, I think the literal nature of it is really powerful. He says, with longing, I have longed for this. I have greatly desired to do this with you. Um, and then he, he does the supper, you know, and he says, you know, I won't drink of this, the fruit of uh, this cup of the fruit of the vine again with you until we do it together in the father's kingdom, right? Jesus is withholding, from himself, the symbols of joy, until we're all united in his presence. And I think about the people that are there at that table with him, right? He can't wait to see these people again, and none of those men are yet who they're supposed to be, right? Peter is far from being mature in Christ, right? He's still got some of his worst sins to go at that point, right? He's going to walk away, go back to the fishing nets, I'm done, man. I've rejected. I've rejected Jesus, and there's no hope for me whatsoever. Just you know?
0: stab a dude in a couple. <laughs> that's
1: of right. Yeah, that's right.
0: Just a couple hours later, right? I love that story. I, I mean, um, I love this. This is so great, you know. <laughs> so yeah. I, I want to recap before we yeah, get yeah, yeah. too far offshore. Yeah, um, you know, and talking through you know some of the things that are helpful as teachers. Yeah, yes, yeah. You know, yeah. yeah. Sorry, spirit. I kind
1: of took a sideline.
0: Uh, silent that's, thing. On there. See, that's yeah. that teaching
1: thing. You get excited. I get excited about something. And it's like, yeah.
0: Bam, I'm and I'm, re- I'm reeling the rabbit back. Yes, yeah. up. Um, mm-hmm. So sincerity is one of the things you yeah. you brought. You know, these things have to be mm-hmm. uh, real, real to you and experienced. Yeah, you. Yeah. you can only really give what you got. That's right. But you know,
1: another thing Tom used to say is you can't take anybody any closer to Christ uh, than you are at the present moment. To me, that was another profound idea. You know, I can't teach somebody something I don't know. And so as a teacher, I I think I'm called, you know, and in ministry, I think we are called uh, to represent Jesus, to represent our relationship with Jesus. So we need to be soberly aware of that,
0: you know, uh, for sure. Go ahead. In tension with that, you know, I I think that's important. But another tension Mm, is there are times where we're going to be like Moses and we're going to be pointing over into the promised land and saying, This, that's is, where it, that's Christ, right. this yeah. is where Christ is calling us to. I, I haven't yeah. made it. I might not make it where right. I need to be. Um, yeah, because if the standard is Christ's likeness, there's yeah. an extent to which all of us fall short.
1: Well, and I, I, th- I think it's really important to tell people that too. I mean, I have, in public, taught things, and after I've taught them, I said, "No, listen, I need to tell y'all right now. I know that what I've just said to you is is true. I, I know that intellectually." But I have not yet applied that fully myself. I haven't worked that out yet. So, yet, so it is that thing of, I'm pointing in the right direction, but I'm telling you, I haven't gotten there yet, too. So you need to, you know, the, the Lord, the Lord is going to help you like He's going to help me with that. But I'm not there, you know. I, yeah. And and I think people respond to that. People people respond to that type of openness,
0: you know. Yeah. <clears throat> so, uh, sincerity. Teaching the right thing in the, in the right order yeah. uh, is a big emphasis. That was one of the big things I learned from you. Yeah. Something you did that you didn't really uh, talk about that, that was helpful is definitions. Yes. Um, yeah. And this yeah. goes to another principle I feel like I, I learned from you, but you haven't ex- stated explicitly, um, is to assume... Uh, your audience doesn't know what you're talking about.
1: Absolutely, um, yes, yeah, so absolutely.
0: It, and then I've, I've found this, you both of us are, um, have been a lot in Bible church or mm-hmm. non-denominational mm-hmm. settings, yeah. which really when you're in a non-denominational setting, it's really a multi-denominational setting. That's absolutely right, yeah. And so you think, I'm, I'm using the word grace, I'm using the word faith, I'm using the word righteousness,
1: mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
0: But if somebody grew up Catholic or Jehovah's Witness clung, yeah. or, yeah. Uh, you, you know, even different denominations, a Presbyterian, a Baptist church, a Methodist church, yeah and are they all hearing the same thing when I'm saying that? Exactly. Yeah. Um, and so in that right order of right things, one of the questions you posed to me and presented to me that I found really helpful in preparing is what do they need to know Yeah, in order for them to know what I want them to know? Absolutely. And yeah. that that thinking through what's the, what's the foundation, what's the basis. Mm-hmm. Um, in seminary, you have the 101, then you have the 102, then you have the yeah. 103, you yeah. know, eventually graduate to 201. But in what people have heard in preaching and other stuff, it's all over the map. Most it people haven't, yeah. haven't been through a systematic process of figuring out um, moving from the foundation to the finishing principles. Yes. And so I, I, as that's really changed the way I've taught a lot because I think, okay, what, what definitions am I using? And what are well, they hearing when I say that? And yeah. if I want them to get here, what do they need to know foundationally in order to get those things?
1: Absolutely. You know, we, um, we have, well, my wife primarily, we've spent, you know, um, uh, but both of our girls have been homeschooled primarily, so my wife did a lot of work in that. Early on, when we were getting into some of that, I was exposed to a lot of the classical education stuff, and one of the things that really um, stuck with me, you know, for Bible teaching is the old distinction between grammar, logic, and rhetoric, and that's kind of where I got the definition thing. You know, grammar um, just way oversimplified is, you know, the basic rules, definition, words, definitions, those type of things, you know, then the logic is how do we put all those things and, and think about them, you know, related to one another. And then the rhetoric is, how do we talk about it? How, how do we present it? And so for me, that those distinctions have been really helpful, you know, to think exactly what you're saying. if we're not on the same page on the definitions, then, um, then we're not gonna be, then we're not gonna make the right connections together. You know, one of the things, one of those, uh, and by the way, I got that I, t- I got that too from Dallas Willard. He had a whole section uh, for a while where he would just devi- define terms. And I thought, oh, that's really helpful, man, the way he defines them, because it was really down to earth. You know, I, uh, first time I heard him say that is, um, somebody asked him what uh, goodness, let no, uh, what beauty is, yeah. Uh, Dallas, what is beauty? Now, who wants to get asked that question? How do we define that? And just immediately he said, oh, well, that, that one is, um, uh, the way I think of it is that is God's uh, eternal goodness made manifest to our senses. <laughs> like, hmm, I don't think you're going to do better than that. <laughs> That's a pretty that good one definition. Or... <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, you and know, if, so th- those definitions well, and are and really help. If... Go, go ahead. Yeah.
0: Yeah. And I think it also clarifies it for, you know, somebody who didn't grow up in church.
1: Yeah, absolutely.
0: Yeah, absolutely. They didn't grow up in church. I mean, it's it's like we speak a different language in church. It's gibberish. And then in in seminary, you advance that ability exponentially because now, you know, now you can talk about the uh, eschatological implications of... The atonement, and it's like, yeah. Do do people know what any of those words mean? One of
1: one of my favorite, uh, I, I'll, I'll, this is something that I'll often teach or, or preach on when I'm asked to go somewhere and I don't really know what's going on, and that is just to define the word grace. You know, uh, and, and there I don't, you know, I you, you know, it's kind of more of a topical study where I go to different passages to yeah. to lay this out. But the way I define grace, every time I do it, it gives people like, wow, I don't think I really knew what was going on there. But the, the way I define grace is, is that it's uh, Father God's unearned, undeserved favor given to us in Christ that gives us access to the unlimited power of the Holy Spirit. Mm. Now, most people think of it as the unlimited favor part. Yeah, okay, I see Christ. But when you mention the power thing, that's when people are like, wait, what? And then, you know, I go to passages like, you know, Paul says in uh, 1 Corinthians 15, you know, uh, by the grace of God, I am what I am. And I've worked harder than all the other uh, disciples, uh, all the other apostles put together, but it's not me. It's the grace of God who works within me, right? So So the grace of God is empowering Christ. And there's other passages you can go to where grace is linked with power. And so almost every time I do that, people have made the connection of the, you know, the uh, unearned, undeserved favor, but they haven't connected it together with power. And for a lot of people, that's, you know, that's a
0: really, uh, wow. Oh man, I never
1: thought about that. And an
0: an interesting thing about that definition is it brings up another aspect of what Mm -hmm. you've talked about, which is having a narrative. Yeah. Right. You know, things are contextually and, and your, your story of, uh, how the world is working, where it come from, yeah. where we are, where we're that's going. Right. Yeah. And then, you know, your personal narrative, where did I come from? Where am I? Where am I going? That definition has narrative yes. tied into it. So right. not only it, it's, uh, t- so that's kind of a combination of two of your uh, well, emphases. And it's, it, and, and two, it's
1: the, uh, it's, it's interesting to say that because I, I call that, that that's what I call the narrative of the Trinity, uh, along with asking, you know, teaching the, the right things in the right order at the right time, there's a, there's another one that, another little phrase that I keep in my head, uh, and you can phrase it as a question, and it's simply this, how is Father God working in Christ through the Holy Spirit? Um, a friend of mine said to me, man, you find Trinitarian relationships in everything, and I'm, well, that, well Paul does, uh, and uh, I don't know if you realize this, but all nature is based in the relationship of the Trinity, right? I mean, that's the the Trinitarian reality is the foundation for all existence. So it shouldn't surprise us that we find it uh, in those things. And if you don't believe me, there's a great song called Three is the Magic Number, Schoolhouse Rock. See, I grew up (laughs) in a time where Schoolhouse Rock was on TV. They're singing Three is the Magic Number. And right there in that song, there's a statement of that that's rooted in the ancient mystic Trinity. Man, imagine getting that on TV nowadays. <laughs> so I know that three is a magic number through Schoolhouse Rock, right? Um, but you know, those those kind of things stick. The, you know, the basis and, and it for all helps.
0: good basis for all good theology. Is Schoolhouse Rock, yeah. <laughs>
1: Listen, dude, I learned how to count. I learned multiplication tables, spelling. I learned about adjectives, right? It's, man, it's it's really a shame. I, sometimes I think I'm more. I learned more. On schoolhouse rock than I did at grade school, uh, but anyway. That's well, the, again,
0: <laughs> Corinth, Mississippi. It's <laughs> not a big stretch. <laughs> uh, man, I hope uh, uh, anybody from Corinth, we love uh, you. St- Stacy loves you. I'm just ragging yeah. on it because we well, people are on each other.
1: people are people are used to hearing it. Like I, uh, I know there are people there that listen to my stuff online, and and oftentimes I will make a joke about Theo, Mississippi, which is not too far <laughs> from Corinth, Mississippi, and.
0: It's the, uh, it's the they same say, I that love people it from do Corinth yeah, yeah, yeah,
1: yeah, I also tell people, I also say a lot, uh, you know, whatever I'm saying, things like that. I say, now listen, y'all, y'all, y'all shouldn't expect much from me. I'm just one generation off the pig farm. So you can't, you know, and people always think I'm joking, but that's for real. A, my mom, uh, my mom really gets a kick out of that. She She has this great story about right after I was born. Uh, my family had; uh, they were raising uh, pigs and whatnot, and I can't remember what had happened. My my dad and grandfather had to go somewhere, and I was still like I think I was maybe a month old or something. And they had a a pig uh, sow that had you know litter of piglets, and my mama was running in between the house trying to take care of me and trying to help this pig <laughs> deliver the piglets. I'm like, yeah, there we go. That's 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 what we got going
0: on there, you know. <laughs> Always a tough question. Do I help this pig deliver her? Do I take care of Stacy? <laughs> oh, yeah. oh, gosh.
1: That's oh. why. That's why I'm really glad that my earliest memory is of my mom reading the Bible to me. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
0: well, you know that that uh, yeah. Oh, I'm not going to say that it's an interview. <laughs> we're, we're getting into dangerous areas. Yeah. We um, are. Well, you know, another thing you talked about, um, our identity in Christ, I I feel like in ministry Mm. as well, huge issue that always comes up is, is your identity in, in, in ministry. And, um, one particular thing I'll, I'll, I'll ask you can talk about it generally, but first I want to Talk real specifically, especially with what's in the background uh, of this Zoom call. Mm -hmm, Is mm -hmm, uh, you took up a very interesting hobby, which is becoming a luthier, a a guitar maker, uh, in the midst of ministry, and found that to be a a really refreshing Mm -hmm. thing to do. Yeah. Um, So I, I just want you to talk about why was that so refreshing for your identity and your ministry? Yeah, uh, to find, and, and that, you know, particular hobby.
1: You know, it's it's interesting to bring that up. When when you asked me to do this uh, a while back, I, I just wrote a little note of, you know, just like a quick shot thing. Like if I were going to talk about this, what were things I'd want to talk about. And one of the first things that I wrote on that list was identity, your identity is not your ministry. Mm. And you get into trouble if you get those two things confused. You know, ministry is something I do. It's not necessarily who I am. Uh, now, it, it flows out of who I am, absolutely, but I see a lot of people, you know, men and women that, that get into some really uh, troubling issues because they tend to confuse, confuse those things. I think um, it may have been Eugene Peterson, I can't remember now, I think it was Peterson who said, uh, there is nothing that distracts us from devotion to Christ like ministry for Christ. I thought that was profound, right? In other words, ministry can become a distraction in and of itself that we can forget, you
0: you know. You think about Christ warning not everybody who says, Lord, Lord to me. Yeah. And then he lists a lot of people who are doing things for
1: him. Didn't we cast
0: out demons?
1: Didn't we do this? Didn't we do that? I
0: don't know who you are. There are levels of ministry ahead of me. I've never cast out a demon or anything
1: like that.
0: Yeah. 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 I, I think it is a huge... Yeah. Injured to be doing things. Absolutely. Um, yeah. For Christ. Yeah. Without, absolutely. Without drawing near to Christ or doing them with Christ.
1: And, you know, and, and ministry, um, ministry, I think always is, let me plug in my power here. Ministry always is. Um, I think it, it always is drain. It, 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 it has a price, you know, it's, it's going to deplete you spiritually. It's going to quote unquote, deplete your spiritual batteries and whatnot. You know, yeah. even in the gospels, we see Jesus retreating, you know, out to a desolate place by himself. You know, he would go and pray uh, by himself. He had to, he had to have time, you know, with the father alone, he would get up early in the morning or spend all night, but he he needed that time away. And the really interesting thing is in most of those, you know, there's some mention of him going to pray, going to, uh, you know, spend time with the father and whatnot. And, uh, that's something that I think is really important in ministry where uh, you have some thing somewhere you can go to spend time with the father and spend time with Christ through, through the spirit. That's not ministry. And for me, uh, that's been the workshop. You know, I, um, I, I, I've tried for years to like journal and have the quiet time type thing. And I'll, all. i can not do that. That just doesn't work for me. I, I um, I have to be, I have to be working with my hands in order for my mind to be still. Now I know that sounds weird, but uh, I do my best thinking when I'm mowing the grass. Uh, that, that's when I do, that's when one of my best ideas come to me. You know, it's not when I'm trying to sit around and think like, like when I'm studying, nothing happens because I'm just <laughs> engaged in the wrong things. But it's when I've taken time to, you know, study is like eating and then me working, doing other things. That's when it's digested and worked out, you know? Mm-hmm. And so for me,
0: uh, it's always talk about what happens to get to the final product. Right. Yeah. Right.
1: Uh, some things need to be retained. Some things need to be expelled. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so, you know, you know, for me, it's, it's, um, it's, it's, it's the, it's the movement It's the working with my hands and and and, I mean, and it took me, you know, until my late forties to really figure that out. You know, uh, I've done some carpentry work all my life, but, um, in 2017, long story, I decided I wanted to try to build an acoustic guitar, which is hardest project that I've ever done in my entire life. I mean, in, in terms of that type of thing. And, but man, I got the hook in me. And um, and then after I'd made a couple people wanted some, so that funded the addiction more. You, you said it was a hobby. It's more like a addict. addiction. <laughs> yeah, that's more of what's going on now.
0: Well, uh, you also did it because you told me once, you say, I can build a better guitar than I could ever afford.
1: Right. Yeah. Uh, there, I'd, I'd read a post and one of the guys that teaches how to build says, uh, if you think you want to try it, try it because your first guitar will be better than any one you could ever buy. And I'm like, that doesn't, okay, let's do it. He was right. I mean, that, that really did turn out. There's, there's something about something made by human hands. Uh, you know, as humans, we had the spirit that works within us infuses life into everything that we touch. If, if we're spiritually alive, you know, and, Shaping of the hands is really important. But for but for, for me, um, when I come out here and work, that is my best alone time uh, with the Lord. You know, I often pray while I'm doing it. A lot of times I'll pray for the person. If I'm building a guitar for somebody, I'll be praying for that person. Uh, if if I know I'm well enough, you know, I've got a lot to pray about a lot of times. Um, I had this epiphany one day out here. This is so dumb. I don't even know if I should. <laughs> yeah, I better share it because the... So I was out here working and I had, man, I was building a guitar for somebody and I had done something. I mean, I was at the end stages about putting together and I did something so dumb. I thought I'd wreck the whole guitar. I, I, I was like, oh Lord, i have got to have to start this whole thing over again. I was looking at it and it suddenly hit me. You know, I have access to the greatest carpenter that's ever lived. <laughs> uh, and, and it hit me. I, I was dwelling on that. I thought, you know, when Jesus came, you know, uh, we assume we assume now he he worked with Joseph um, as a carpenter. You know, uh, early on they say, isn't that the carpenter's son? You know, yeah. da 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 da. Jesus worked with his hands, apparently, probably more, more than likely. I, don't, I can't see him doing anything else. But um, there weren't
0: many abstract carpenters. Yeah, in the, you, don't, uh, you don't
1: you don't you know he's, century. <laughs> he's probably a really really interesting. But um, yeah, so you know, he uh, Jesus is probably a skilled laborer. You know, a blue collar worker, so to speak. And I was thinking on that in the context of, why that? Why of all things? And immediately, Colossians 1 came into my mind. Everything that exists has been created by him, through him, and for him, right? Jesus is the agent of all creation. This is what he's always been doing. So why wouldn't that be what he does as a human when he comes? When I thought about that for the first time, I thought, man, I'm, I'm just so dumb. It ain't even funny. I mean, that that's that's just a base level, whatever, you know, but...
0: Being out here working, so that he's all, yeah. you, so what you're saying is he's always creating, he's yeah, always forming, he's
1: always done that, right? He, he's always been a builder, right? If the father is the architect, Jesus is the one that puts it all together,
0: you know. But well, but it, along with but, that, you know, another thing to insert, you know, you said you were working on the guitar and yeah. realized you have access to the master, yeah, you know. Um, but and
1: that's what I was getting to is that that's really turning into a time of prayer where. I really experienced the Lord's, for some reason, now this wouldn't work with everybody, you know, I mean, you got to find out where the Lord likes to meet with you, where where he enjoys being with you, and for me, it's in the workshop, you know, I pray, pray about people, pray about things, pray about the family, you know, I mean, sometimes I put on music, and I'm just kind of doing my own things, but a lot of times, you know, it's quiet, and I'm working in here, and it is a time to reflect and meditate, oftentimes he'll bring passages to mind that I think about. But, you know, a lot of times as I'm talking, I mean, let, now this is people are probably going to think this is crazy, but people are, I'll be looking at something and I don't know what to do. And I'll pray, Lord, if you were doing this, what would you do? And I'll sit there for a few minutes and ideas will come to my mind, you know? And it's, uh, and for me, it's that, to me, it's building that personal relationship. It's It's the realization that Jesus is with me, whatever I'm doing. I mean, Jesus is with us, Whatever we're doing, he'll never leave us nor forsake us. And he enjoys being with us. And for me, that, man, that's been a real, ah—that's oh, that has been a lifesaver. Uh, that has been a lifesaver in terms of re- recharging me for ministry. You know, it's also, I'm also a huge believer, huge believer that you need to do and read as many diverse things as you possibly can. Um, building guitars informs my Bible study. Uh, there it, And it's so hard to explain, but learning things in that area, there are things that are analogous that I bring over into Bible teaching and, and whatnot, you know? Uh, people, people one of the illustrations that I give out of that, people all, often ask about the acoustic guitars, you know, it's a piece of wood that's curved, you know, in, in uh, shape. And people often ask me, um, how do you do that? And, and I've said on a couple of times, I say, well, I use the same process that the father uses to conform us to the image of Christ, heat and pressure. Those two things shape that guitar into what it needs to be. Right. Uh, and that wood suffers while I'm doing it. I mean, it's, yeah, you know, it's it's yelling back at me. I don't want to do that. You know, there's some great, there's some great illustrations in it, but there's also, um, you know, there's also things that I learned that help me to learn how to teach better, uh, do better things in that. And that's just not in that, you know, I, just, man, just read as widely as you can, Uh, do as many things as you can, go out, try something different, you know, Uh, try different hobbies, uh, you know, where you're, where where the goal is to learn something different, but also it's um, finding time to spend with the Lord where you're not in ministry, so to speak, you know, you and him, just you and him talking and getting to know one another, you know? Uh, And for me, one of the great byproducts of that has been just a, a, uh, like a reiteration of his grace that the Lord, (laughs) the Lord blesses us not because of what we do, but because of who he is. And the more we remind him of that, and the more we remind ourselves of that, the more it takes root in our lives, you know? That's, boy, that's a I think that's a lifelong lesson. At least it has been for me, you know? Uh, But if, uh, you know, the Lord, if you are pursuing the things that the Lord has given to you in ministry, he's gonna provide. Uh, If you're doing the things that he has given for you to do, he's gonna provide for it. And if not, then he's gonna use it to teach you something that you need to know to get to where you need to be, you know? And that's,
0: nothing is wasted,
1: you know? Nothing is wasted in that. And that so takes a long time to
0: realize. So, circling back a little bit, you know, yeah. you you were talking about how, you know, in doing carpentry, you had access to the master carpenter, and and yeah. you know, can ask him. Yeah. You know, I think of one of the big eye-opening moments for the disciples is, you know, they've been following Jesus all this time, yeah, and he's an expert on those things, but when he shows that tells them how to fish successfully. Yeah. Right. Professional <laughs> fishermen. That's when Peter, the the big oh, light, man, goes on yeah. and says, Depart from me. You yeah, know, I love um, that episode. And I'm not you know, worthy for you to be in my boat. You know? yeah, but, but <laughs> you know, you get to this. Uh, I think a lot of times we come to Jesus for some things, yeah, but then there are other things we think, I'm the expert in this. I don't really need his help. And right. so when when oh. Jesus shows Nah, nah. I'm, I made that. I know more, <clears throat> yeah, n- more about that than you ever will. That's when we kind of experiences lordship in more deep and and profound ways. You know, t- talking about the growth thing earlier. You know, and kind of my
1: my, my journey, your journey, everybody, and we, we think about those mom workers. For me, another huge, uh, probably in my adult life. You know, after seminary and all, there there hadn't been anything more um, profound than discovering the writings of Dallas Willard, uh, particularly the divine conspiracy and renovation of the heart. Uh, I, I, you know, people get sick of me referring to renovation of the heart that, that, that book changed the way I think about everything. Uh, and, uh, without going into all the details, what, what Willard did for me the first time in my life is he made pursuing what you're talking about, that, that deeper, uh, relationship, the, the uh, more committed relationship, he made that something that sounded attractive of of something that if I were in my right mind, I would want to do that, you know, Uh, just like Jesus did with, you know, the the people who came to him and were flocking to him because he had the words of life, you know, and so forth and so on. But one of the things that that Willard uh, says in, I think it's in divine conspiracy. He says, you know, even among Christians, they think of Jesus as savior and Lord and yeah, but they don't particularly think of him as a wise person, (laughs) somebody that knows what he's actually talking about. And boy, that really hit me. you know, I thought, maybe I'm not taking him as seriously as I should, you know, um, in the scriptures, you know, we, we have a tendency to say, well, that was for them, but that's not necessarily for us. And well, that kind of goes against my view of what the scriptures are given, you know, all, all, all scriptures, uh, breathed out by God and and, uh, profitable for uh, reproof and direction and all all the other things, instruction and righteousness. Um, And so, you know, that's that's a big shift to think Jesus is wise and he knows how to live. I mean, he knows how to live better than anybody else did. So why don't we take what he's saying seriously, you know? Um, Yeah, that's a big deal. It's a really big deal.
0: Yeah, no. well, we could probably talk uh, for a long, and you, long time. Yeah, I don't man, know how long know people it? would listen. <laughs> right, uh, that's it. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. Uh, well, one other thing I'll, I'll say, and and this comes a, as an observation as a pastor's kid. So, um, as a pastor's kid, you have for a long time a vicarious identity. Yeah. Uh, yeah. You, you also, you know, kind of said that. Um, uh, you, you brought this up about your uh, guitar making. You know, you said, you know, in family, you, sometimes you get referred to as Jim Allman's son-in-law yeah. because yeah. he, you know, he was a big Bible teacher and seminary prof. And uh, you know, in ministry, you followed the founder of a ministry. Yeah. So he's yeah. a guy who who followed uh, Tom Murray, and and you just kind of said. Well, I I think as a pastor's kid, there's ways you've got to get over those. That's right. Yeah. Uh, But then you also said, it's kind of funny, fun to be the guy who makes guitars. Yeah. Yeah. That tied to anybody else. That's my thing, you know. Yeah.
1: It was, uh, you know, and I, uh, yeah, uh, growing up with that, you know, I would hear, and people didn't mean anything negative by this. But, you know, I would often hear you know, like people talking and they would say, Oh, you know, that's, that's who took over from Tom Murray. You know, now I'm one of those people that tends to take everything worst case scenario. You know, I, <laughs> I hear something and I, I assume the worst, which is terrible, you know,
0: yeah.
1: uh, or, or they would say, you know, that's Jim Allman's son-in-law. And I always think they were making some kind of comparison and, and, Maybe they were. Somewhat. Now I love both those guys, you know? And I'm 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 glad to be the guy, you know, that fits into that. But, but even I, that but even that puts
0: pressure on. It, it does. People oh, have oh, positive yeah. oh.
1: Man, I remember my the first time it was when I think it's when I was pastoring that church and I realized that my father-in-law was going to be in the audience. <laughs> um that was one of the first times I seriously com- contemplated running away from everything. Like, I don't know if I can do this, you know. <laughs> Because you know my 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 father-in-law, he's a brilliant, dude. Uh, yeah. Just knows more. He's forgotten more than I'll ever know, you know. Um, but you know, he he's not just my father-in-law; he's my father in spirit. I mean, I came to know the Lord deeply in his mm. classes at Crichton, so there's a deep relationship there. And uh, you know, it, it wasn't later until I really realized, you know, he's not looking at me to be critical; he's looking at me like a son, in a sense, you know. So that 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 changed some of that. But you know, yeah, but being men, you know, I think we as men struggle with our identities and we want to feel like we're doing something that's significant and profound. And I, I didn't really realize how that was affecting me that much until I started making guitars and people would look at them and they're like, Hey, that's the guy that makes guitars, you know, because that, that, that was the first time that I'd have been associated with something that was different from all the, from all, like, like you were saying from all the rest. And And I really didn't realize how much that was really an encouragement to me, you know, in a, in a sense of, um, just kind of looking at the, uh, you know, looking at the whole package of things. Now I hope, you know, I hope when, um, hope when everything's said and done, people will be saying better things, you know, about wisdom or something like that, (laughs) you know what I'm saying? And, And that my, that my daughters will grow up and think that I've done a halfway decent job, um, and so forth. But anyway, you know, that, that's all really important, but it, you know, it goes back to what we were saying that, you know, I, your identity is not your ministry. And I think a lot of people struggle with that and, and, and the Lord will help you get through it. You know, uh, the, the Lord will help you figure it out yeah. and,
0: and make it work. And I, I think, you know, a big thing for me, and I had to learn it a little bit in a way, being a pastor's kid gave me some advantages yeah, because yeah. I already had to, um, Divorce my identity from my father to create my own identity. That's exactly right. Yeah. And so when I got, you know, if I hadn't done that by the time I got to ministry, I feel like I would have been in trouble yeah. because I was even ministering in the same church my dad was a senior That's pastor. That's right. A yeah. Long time. yeah. So that doubles up, Um, you know, the, yeah. the comparison. Oh,
1: man, I can and, imagine. Yeah. Um, and me I mean, I, remember, I, I, I think great. I remember saying to you at one point, like, Seth, don't be afraid to find your own voice. You know, yeah. yeah. Don't just go, man. Go figure out what what you're gonna do. You know,
0: yeah. And there there are mannerisms and things that I've got from him, and <laughs> but I I think on some fundamental personality level and um, uh, stylistic levels, yeah. we, we're, we're very different.
1: Very different,
0: yeah. Um Knowing both it, of you, y'all are very different. Yeah. Yeah, and it, and it it was. It's very tempting to try and be a version of your father rather than a version of yourself Absolutely. And for you. Yeah. I'm sure it's tempting to be a version of Jim or a version of Tom yeah. rather than who God's called you to be. And uh, just recognizing, nah, God made me the way he made me. He's working yeah. on me the way he's working on me. Right. And my job is to be the most Christ-like version of me, I can be yeah. not the most, uh, you know, In my case, Ronnie-like version of Seth. I can yeah. Be. Yeah. And um, you still look up to those people. You still try and model them. You still try and take their things, but there's going to be other people who want you to be carbon copies of them.
1: That's that, right. Yeah. That
0: you've got to kind of ignore, put behind you or figure out yeah. ways to deal with. And I think what you said earlier You got to find your identity in Christ. That's right. Yeah. um, In those places, because if you do it, if you find it in ministry, you're going to be trying to probably become a savior for people. Trying to. Absolutely, yeah, absolutely. Well, you know, there. um,
1: When when we think about it, when we think about all of it from the eternal perspective, there's going to come a day where ministry won't be necessary. And, And and I'm saying that because. It seems to me that the goal of all ministry is, like Paul says, to present everybody mature in Christ. Well, when the yeah. kingdom comes, we're going to need that anymore. By the way, I've, I've, as a joke, I've said that's why I took up Luthery. because last time I checked, they're still going to need lutes and harps in heaven, but they ain't going <laughs> to need Bible teachers. <laughs> so it's just kind of insurance, you know,
0: for yeah, future yeah. possibilities. Make sure you got something to do up there,
1: <laughs> something to fall back on, you know. Yeah. yeah. Uh, man, it, uh, no, you know, when I was in seminary, People I I would hear people, even profs like, well, make sure you got something to fall back on, you know, if ministry goes south. And I thought that doesn't seem like good good advice, number one. And then secondly, I'm like, I don't know how to do anything. So why, why am I gonna fall back on? I, or at least anything I can make any money at. So I'm just gonna trust that this thing's gonna work out one way or another.
0: <laughs> yeah. Oh man. Um uh kind of random. I don't know why I'm inspired just to share this, but. I remember one time I, I did like a little um, course thing that was, uh, you know, teaching some counseling stuff. And uh, I remember it, it was a member of the, that previous church who had, you know, had my dad yeah, as a pastor. Yeah. People just love my dad. A, a yes. lot of people, a lot of people just absolutely loved him. Absolutely. Uh, people tolerate me. They, they love my dad. <laughs> um, and, you know, took the course and, and, and the person you know, at the end of it was, you know, giving the certificate or whatever and talking through the course. I think they had an interview towards the end to make sure you got the principles. And, um, they were, were were talking to me and they, you know, kind of reached this point. They felt was of grave importance and, and and paid me what they thought was a, a very high compliment of, um, you know you remind me a lot of your father in, yeah in your in your wisdom and insight yeah yeah and um then immediately after that they were kind of shocked at my non <laughs> non response or, yeah, or or yeah. or non being Im- Im- impressed by it or or things <laughs> like that and and then kind of brought it up like i was expecting a little more for that and i just said yeah that's that's not who i'm called to be i'm not called to be like him uh i I thank you for the compliment but my i my identity is not tied tied up in that you know that's right Um, yeah and i think i think that messes up a lot of pastors kids too oh is yeah they're they're so-and-so's son and they haven't established a relationship and and to my parents credit uh they they never told us hey you're a pastor's kid you have to act this way right um which i think was very freeing in in fact when they were encouraging and directing us it's like hey you're a you're a like you're like you do these things because you're a christian not because you're a pastor or a pastor's right you do this right. cuz you're a follower of Jesus and that that that's huge to me. Yeah. So. Yeah, oh man. Abso- yeah, absolutely. Um yeah. Well, if people are interested in you or your discipleship curriculum, where can they or your guitarist, uh, where they, where can they check you out?
1: Sure, um the easy, for the ministry, it's www.tsf T S F for True Seekers Fellowship tsfmemphis.org uh, is the website, and we have a lot of links to a lot of stuff up there. All, all of our stuff up is uh, for free. Uh, you know, a lot of courses, things. You know, a um, lot, lot of studies up. I'm still putting new stuff up. Still trying to get stuff up that's kind of been in the archives for a while. So there, there's a lot there. Uh, and then uh, the guitar stuff. If you want to look at that, I've got a website at tysonguitars.com. You can just, look, in fact, if you just look up Tyson Guitars, I think I'm the first one that shows up in the search because, uh, that, that's a unique combination for whatever reason. So, uh, anyway, Tyson chicken, somebody else knows. <laughs> yeah, right? That's a, right. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Shout. Yeah. I, oh, I always get the Tyson jokes. Uh, my, my favorite comeback people will, uh, say, so you kin to the, to the Tyson chicken people. I say, no, but Mike is first cousin on my mama's side.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, um, well, hey, I've I've really enjoyed it. Uh, if you're everybody. interested in uh, checking out Stacy's uh, teaching, they've also got, uh, I think they have the PDFs for free, mm-hmm, but that yeah. milk to meat curriculum, uh, you can also get in a booklet format uh, to lead people through, talk people through. And, and uh, just on that
1: uh, here in the next year, I'm going to be doing more uh, online stuff with that to develop it out with some videos. I'm just finishing up publishing the final workbook in that series. So, I'm gonna be doing, trying to do some interactive online stuff with that, so th- that'll be happening up in the next several months here. So I'm excited about that. Yep. Some stuff I've been wanting to do forever. So,
0: and also, I think you may know this, but this is going to be our uh, first podcast with and uh, with me as an affiliate of somebody that I'm trying to uh, get money with, uh, oh. which is yeah. Logos Bible oh. Software, Stacy. What do you use Logos for as a Bible teacher? And oh, how helpful is it?
1: Literally everything. I mean, man, that... Um, so I, I've had it for a while, but it's only been in the last three or four years that I've really... Um, I mean, it's become my go-to thing. You know, uh, there were there were times where I would have to go take my daughter somewhere and have to spend, you know, have to sit around somewhere in a you know on a bench or something. I have all of my resources on my laptop, can do... In fact, I was taking my daughter to a college class uh, before lockdown and I had a, a couple of hours every Thursday and I would sit in a McDonald's and I would literally do all the prep work that I needed to do for all of my classes for the entire week in a couple of hours because I've got everything right there. It, man, that that uh, that program is just incredible. I mean... Absolutely phenomenal. I, 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 I'm kind of dumbfounded as to what to say with it. I mean, I, I don't know, I would not want to go back to the, the way I used to have to do things, carrying books around and bookmarks and all that kind of stuff. Dude, it's got so many, so many features built into it that are so helpful, especially for a teacher, you know, to be able to do things uh, quickly and precisely. Uh, man, it's, so, it's
0: just fantastic. Um, yeah, go yeah, I think about- get it, yeah. How much time it would take to get the lexicons, concordances, commentaries Yeah, uh, yeah. in order to do something that, um, you know, just gathering all the books. And yes. And does it like that. Boom.
1: Yeah. And so, I mean, you know, and people have said, well, that sounds kind of expensive and it's expensive. But if you compare that to having to buy all the books you would need, it, there's, there's just, there's no comparison. I mean, uh, dude, yes. Hey, and do it while we still got the internet right <laughs> before they shut that down <laughs> and go 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 Stacey, get it while you can it's
0: going to sell out like stacy is a pessimist so his <laughs> expectation is buy Logos hey, software before the world collapses
1: some hey some call it
0: pessimism i just call it realism let's just you know <laughs> this is the way it works <laughs> all right well now you you've you've heard stacy's take on the real world Uh, Stacy, I enjoyed it. We thank you, buddy. We kept the goofing off uh, to an acceptable level. You know, we did pretty good for us. Yeah, we did pretty good for us. Uh, Uh, I've
1: got some videos that you can link up (laughs) sideline
0: issues. (laughs) 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 uh, Stacy does not have anything, do not listen to him. (laughs) You you keep Uh, talking like that, I'll never put this. Enjoyed having you. Uh, Thanks, we'll, buddy. We'll, we'll yeah. have to uh, get together some other time and, and catch yeah. up. Yeah, but Appreciate Absolutely. you. Check out his, his stuff. Uh, and uh, he's got also b- uh, studies on individual books of the Bible. Uh, yeah. He's gone through Psalms, Revelations. Uh, you can either look at the notebooks or listen to the classes at tsfmemphis.org. That's, it's been yeah. a pleasure, brother. Take Thanks care. buddy.
1: Yeah, man. Good to see you. Take care out there.
0: I do this podcast because I love it. I believe that its content is beneficial and encouraging for anyone in ministry. As a passionate amateur, I've bought a decent amount of audio equipment and spent a lot of time trying to make a high quality podcast. And so Three things I want to tell you is number one, thanks for listening. I checked the stats and it means a lot that people find this podcast worth their time. By the way, we recently crossed over the 1,000 listens threshold, so I'm so excited about that. Secondly, uh, if you'd like to buy Logos or buy more books for Logos if you've already have it, please use the link in the show notes. Finally, One of our listeners requested a way to donate to the show. Thanks, Brad. So if you want to help me recoup the cost of audio equipment or just want to treat me to a cup of coffee so that I have more energy to do more shows, you can give through PayPal at paypal.me slash helpseth or through Venmo at helpseth. Either way, we would appreciate it a whole lot and hope you have a blessed day. And finally, congratulations, you've survived this episode.